sentimental journey Gonna set my heart at ease Gonna make a sentimental journey To renew all memories Got my faith, got my reservation Spent each time I could afford Like a child in wild anticipation Long to hear that all aboard Seven, that's the time we leave at seven Takes me back. Never thought my heart could be so yearning. Why did I decide to roam? Gotta take that sentimental journey. Sentimental journey home. Sentimental journey. Bye. 
It is Saturday night, July the 10th, year 2010. I'm Wong Jews, and it is the Saturday night show. And that's good because I gotta put my headset on. We're gonna do a radio show. And let me just say hello to Patricia. Hello, Patricia. Hello, Alden. Merry Christmas. We're having Christmas in July still. That's true. I'm really excited about that. We've got a whole bunch of time left in the month. What have we got? 21 days left for Christmas? That's true. Hooray. Yeah, yeah. Well, would you like to introduce our special guest? I absolutely would. Uh, we have a special guest tonight, Nolan Kenner, who is now living in Florida, which makes me very happy because I'm in Florida. When you hear Nolan say good evening, many of you are going to recognize the voice. It is 
the voice uh, that introduces Bill Bragg and Mike Handy during the week, uh, the live show during the week, Monday through Thursday. Um, he talks about Bill being the man with a million friends, and I think you're going to recognize the voice. Uh, Nolan has had a radio career that will just knock your socks off. They absolutely knock my socks off, so I'm really eager to talk with him about what he has done, where he has done it, how he got to Yesterday USA, and we're going to finish up with some Christmas stories. So with that introduction, I get to say, hi, Nolan. You're tuned to the Yesterday USA radio network. Hi there. <laughs> It sounded like a recording. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize it was you. Say it again, please. Good evening. Good evening. I'm on the other side of the state. And then we have to link up out in Los Angeles in order to call to this I'm having trouble hearing you. Okay, is this better? That's yeah, better. that's better. Where were you? Out, to, out in the okay. yard? <laughs> I was. Um, <laughs> then the phone ran. Well, it and, is. In order for us to talk, we have to link up through Los Angeles. Is that right? That's true. Oh, down here in John Wayne country, down here in Orange County. You bet. Oh, yeah. Two people in Florida, a person in California, feeding all the way down to Texas, and then that line go, comes out back out to California. And forms a barbed wire fence for the last yes. hundred yards. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, that's funny. Um, well, we're going to talk with you tonight. Nolan, about uh, some of your experiences. If we tried to talk with all about all of them, we'd be here for a picnic during the week, and we'd still be here next Saturday. So can we begin with old-time radio first, and then we'll go into some questions about your background and personal information and people you have met along the way. Nolan, how did you find old-time radio, and how did you get involved with Bill Bragg and Yesterday USA? Well, I, I think I'm part of old-time radio because I worked in it in uh, the 60s, in the early 60s, and that's when <clears throat> the, the uh, drama died. You remember? Hey, Nolan, come to the microphone a little closer. We're having a real okay. hard time hearing you, Nolan. If you will talk to each other just one time. Okay, sure. We'll be oh, happy to. Sure. Too we, we can do that. Is that going well, to help you set that, up? That, uh, give me a well, I just got um, Arthur Anderson's new email, Patricia. Arthur Anderson was the voice of Lucky Charm for the last 27 years. Oh, my He was God. part of Orson Welles' stock company uh -huh. of the 1930s. And he's just written a brand new book that our friend Ben Omar uh, is publishing. And I just, just so happen to drop him an email and invite him to come on to the show next oh, month. Oh, won't that be fun? So he said, yes, we'll have him here. Oh, and that that would really be great fun, and he has done so um, much. Lucky Charms is something that so many people recognize uh, because, you know, it's cartoon and it's jingle and it's um, it's got memorable words and rhymes. Oh, yeah. My gosh, has he got, had a career. Yeah, and 18 years on Let's Pretend. So that's, I just dropped him a note. Next, next Saturday, everybody, John and Lori Gassman, the Gassman twins, will be with us. And then who knows what we're going to have planned on the 24th and the 31st. we got things in the works, but we'll see what pops up on the shows. And let's see, tomorrow, we'll feature the Gassman show and the Phil Harris Hour Face show. And then I'm going to feature uh, Ray Bream's last show they did over KABC Radio. 
And I found the beginning of it, so that's when you had Gene Autry came on a second time, and Artie Shaw, and a bunch of people. So those of you who like listening to the Ray Breen, uh, I will play another one. Then I'm out for a while until the Gasman give me a new batch of material. And so we'll figure we'll figure out what else we'll play for the future Sundays, you know. Is, is the Ray Breen interview with Artie Shaw and Gene Autry one that you have played before? Uh, this one is this particular first hour you have not heard before. Okay, it's so it's the beginning of the portion that we have already heard. Uh huh. Correct. Just wanted to mention that it was absolute dynamite. I loved that show. It was just a, a collection of people who kept calling in and drifting into the studio to wish Ray good wishes and happy trails to him. And it, it was just a great show. That's Absolutely. True. So I hope you'll listen to it. And uh, speak, <laughs> speaking of happy trails, Patricia sent me a link, everybody, that it's a little sad that Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. Uh, a lot of the treasure is up for auction here the next week or so over at Christie's uh, up in New York. And I think both Patricia and I were going to stay shocked how low the minimum bid for the original handwritten works of Happy Trails was on the box for. Mm-hmm. It, w- it wasn't um, even a minimum bid. I'm hoping that uh, it will go for a lot more, but the estimated value of it now, this is the, it, it's a hand draft, and I'm not sure it's the whole song, but it has to do with Happy Trails. It is in Dale's own hand, and the estimated value was three to $500, which just blew me away. I, I would have put a value much, much higher on, on a piece of memorabilia like that. That's true. Nolan, you back with us? Nope, that's he's still working. We're working on some special things tonight, everybody. No one's going to be able to play clips and things from his studio down in Florida. So we're working out all the little bugs as, as we've been working on it all day. So Did I just hear Nolan's yeah, voice? Nolan, talk to us there. Can you hear me? Um, no. Yes, uh, a little bit louder would be terrific. All right, how's that? Better. One, two, Better. Little more. Loud enough. Little more. Little more. Little more. One, two, one, two, one, two, three. Oh, there we go. What time do we go on the air? Oh, we can yeah. start now. Sit on. <laughs> <laughs> if uh, anybody's interested, I have a course in microphone technique I'd like to tell you about. <clears throat> uh, how Sorry, long, guys. How long is the program? Who am I? The, micro- the microphone program. Oh, it's uh, endless. Oh, endless. Okay, Not- it's it's not a single seminar. It's an ongoing program. That's right. Ten easy lessons for all 1995 correspondence. Right, correspondence, right? Absolutely. Hang on. Okay. Where did you Where did you go, Nolan? I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> okay, we're gonna tie that microphone to your. <laughs> no, we're gonna let him go to the kitchen. We're gonna let him go to the kitchen and grab a snack once in a while, though. But we We might be able to do that. Okay, now that everybody can hear you, do that little bit of the Yesterday USA introduction that you did a couple of minutes ago. You're tuned to the Yesterday USA Radio Network. There you go. Now, anyone who listens to Yesterday USA during the week knows that voice, knows that voice. Welcome, Nolan Kenner. We're off to a great start now. I was asking you how you got into old-time radio, how you became involved in it, how you found it, and also your association with Yesterday USA. 
the um, as I said earlier, I discovered it because I was part of it uh, in the '60s. I was working while I was in school, and Suspense and Johnny Dollar was still on. And um, as a result of that, I, I kind of got hooked on it. And then when I went to Armed Forces Radio later on, I um, really was, you know, like the uh, kid in the candy store with all of those programs being aired and available to listen to. Uh-huh. Um, so I started studying, uh, reading all I could about them and uh, learning the uh, origins and so forth and, and just became fascinated with it. When working over there in the 60s, it was like being in radio in the 40s in the States. The uh, logs were all filled with drama and, and uh, news and sports and uh, soap operas and things of that nature that were long since gone in the, in this country. But um, So I felt kind of privileged to be able to do that because shortly after that, the uh, satellite programming came in and it was no longer necessary to produce the programs at the uh, source, such as Germany, where I was. Uh-huh. All of our programming, other than what we got from syndication, was produced right there. Uh-huh. And then when satellite came in, of course, uh, it was no longer necessary to not only not produce programs, but not have as many uh, personnel, and it uh, just went the way of a lot of things. I mean, it, it was time. Uh, it was would not have been practical to continue to do it the way it was, but it surely was a, t- a teaching experience for me. So radio came to you as opposed to your seeking it out. Uh, yes, actually, but I, I ju- jumped ahead, I guess, because all through high school, I worked at the local radio station up in North Georgia filing records after school. You remember records? They're kind of round and have a hole in the middle. Yeah, those things that, you, that used to turn around on a table. That's right. Yeah, one of those. Okay. And uh, so after school, I was filing those and um, making a little extra money. Uh, extra was making the only money I had. <laughs> <laughs> and that was your beginning? Yes, it was. I had, um, I, I think I've told this story before, uh, at least I've told Walden, but growing up was a bit uh, rough and that there was not a lot of money around. I said if I ever wrote a book, I would call it Growing Up Poor on the Right Side of the Tracks. I don't know that sounds odd, but uh, I have an older brother, seven years, uh, and he sort of was born in the golden age when my grandfather was uh, in the chenille textile business, which is uh, up in North Georgia, Dalton, Georgia, where they make carpet now. The predecessors to that was bedspreads with uh, the chenille material. Mm-hmm. And um, if anybody drove from, say, the north down to Florida back in the 50s and early 60s, you would have seen this, uh, these spreads hanging by the highway. Women, uh, in the main, women would decorate these quilts and sell them to people uh, as they were going on vacation. That evolved into the carpet business, which is the biggest in the in the nation, as far as I'm, uh, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but after a few years before I was born, my grandfather passed away, and uh, well, actually, yes, he, he passed away, and then so did all the the business that he had grown over the years because his sons didn't participate, didn't care to, and he didn't push it much. And in addition to that, they were alcoholics. So you take that combination and you've got uh, a lot of idle time and a lot of time to get in trouble. So by the time I got into the world, uh, the movie was my big escape. Uh, Well, I sort of switched gears there. I was a big fan of the movies I am today, uh, of the old westerns and serials. 
And incidentally, I'm not crying poverty and poor me here because things have a way of working out. Uh, somebody said if you talk, went to the prisons and asked each prisoner, did he have a happy childhood, the chances are he wouldn't. And But you can't release him based on that. We've all had some ups and downs. But the um, only thing that had order to it in my little world there at, at age eight and nine years old was the, the movie theater on Saturday morning. I could depend on it being warm if it was cold outside, cool if it was hot outside. The movies would come on on time. Superman would never disappoint. You know, he'd be there every week. And the um, goodies, the popcorn, and the uh, candy bar, and maybe a Coca-Cola. But the chances of me getting that quarter that I needed for that that particular day were kind of iffy in the beginning of the week, but, but uh, I never missed one somehow or another. I managed to get that fare. And would meet my buddies there, and we would go, and then after the movie, we would go play Cowboys, and we would one would be Roy Rogers, one would be uh, oh, uh, Charles Starrett or Gene Autry or any of those guys. And uh, so when I uh, was uh, got into adulthood, in fact, retirement, I started buying those cereals anywhere I could get them. And I started buying the uh, some other things that I had that were, well, ex example of my mother threw out a lot of my stuff when I went in the Army, and I wish I had a nickel for every band I've heard say that. Uh, just so bad, you know, your favorite comic books, some of which were valuable. And uh, But anyway, I, I thought I'd like to relive those times. Well, it doesn't work. I got them, and uh, it was nice to see them again, but it just wasn't the same. And you, you, you really can't go back to that, but you have a way of filtering out the good stuff, and uh, that's, that's what I like to remember. And that leads me up to where we were talking earlier, that uh, I had a friend whose dad managed the local radio station up in Dalton, and we were walking home from school one day, and I said, I think we're going into the summer months, school was about out, and I said, I sure would like a job this summer. Does your dad have anything up there that you think uh, I could do? I would really like to work up there and, and get familiar with that that business. Uh, I'm just fascinated by this. the concept, the lights and the on the meters and the bulbs and the things, tubes flashing. And he said, well, I'll, I'll ask him. And uh, I thought to myself, well, that's nice of him to say, but I doubt if anything will happen. Two days later, his dad called and said, uh, come on by. I may have something for you. And I came by and said, we have these 45 records are just stacking up back there because we don't use the uh, LPs like we used to, and the 78s are going out. And I need somebody to file those and get, get a library started in alphabetical order, numerical order. And can you handle that? And I said, yeah, I think so. He apologetically told me that he could only work me seven and a half hours a week and pay me $7.50. And he was apologizing for that. And I was going nuts inside, leaping, doing cartwheels. <laughs> you know, this is 750% uh, more than I had when I walked in the door, Mr. Davies. I didn't say that, but that was what I was feeling. So I, I went out of there knowing that I was going to make more money than a lot of kids got as, as allowances in, a, in that time. Uh, we're talking mid-60s or 50s. Great times, so good music, and um, that's that's pretty much it. I've uh, launched me into the career, and I've never worked in anything else. Nolan, where did this fascination with broadcasting come from? If this was your first exposure, well, um, I don't know. I, I did like to tinker around with electronics um, and build uh, little FM radios, AM radios. They had kits in those days, and um, 
just playing with electricity in general. I got burned a couple of times, but <laughs> I had to go right back. I, it, was, it was fascinating. So I think that initially was the technical part of it and how they could send a signal from that radio station out to a tower on the river and then back to my house. Uh, I got to know how that works. And uh, so that, that kind of curiosity, I guess, is, is why I initially uh, got involved with the, with the business. Translated over there. Before we get into your actual broadcast background, I want to ask you about your lunchbox radio. I kind of sneaked that one in there because you talked with me for a couple of minutes about it the other day. Would you tell us about that, please? Sure. Um, that was another thing I tried to do. I, I had this uh, radio at Christmas time. It was very special. It was my first radio that was really mine, and it was battery operated, and I, could, I carried it all over the neighborhood. And it was a little radio shaped like a lunchbox. The, if you, you picture a lunchbox on its edge with the clasp down on the ground, and you open the lid all the way up, that became the antenna. And uh, it looked a little bit from one side like a lunchbox, so I guess that's why they called them that. But it was a, it was a Farnsworth radio. Farnsworth is the man that invented television, or has credit for it. And um, it was a fine little radio, and I got back to States and I thought uh, I really would like to have one of those again, and I started looking for them. Well, it wasn't as soon as I got from the states; it was when I retired. That's what I should say. So I got on eBay and found a chassis in Philadelphia and the knobs in California and the tubes and all. This thing is a combination of about eight radios that I ordered and took the best parts from and put it back together. And it looks like it could go in the showroom now. And you have so that, it. That's, that's kind of neat. They, they had, uh, something that you might find interesting, the Lone Ranger was one of my favorites. I listened to it on that little radio. And one of the first things I did at the radio station when they were training me, in addition to filing the records, was how to segue from one program or one half of a program to the next. Because in those days, they didn't have... I, never, I said, I'm my grandfather. I never thought I'd be saying in those days, but I guess I will. <laughs> in those days, you, you could only get 15 minutes on a, a disc that was uh, 16 inches big. Wow. And, uh, it, so it took two discs like that to get 30 minutes. And the Lone Ranger had a changeover in the middle, and you had a certain, you had a cue sheet, and they told you when it was going to come up. And they said, would you like to try that? And uh, you read down here, and you start this other turntable, and you fade the first one down. I thought, well, that's, I think I can handle that. And I did with great success and lots of uh, approval from the other guys. And I really thought I thought I was in show business now. I, I just <laughs> I helped with the Lone I helped produce the Lone Ranger today. <laughs> Indeed, you did. Do you remember the first time you sat in front of a microphone and broadcast? Uh, gosh, yes, yes, I do. It was it was that sort of thing. Uh, little station breaks and little five second commercials that were needed. Uh, and I found out later what was going on. The guys like to go back in the lounge and. <laughs> They only had this five-second thing to read in a, in a half hour, so, well, why don't you try and work on that? And as part of your intern, you read this commercial. That was okay. I didn't care. I, I'd work their whole shift for them if I could. How did it go? I'm sorry? How did, how did it go? Did, did you broadcast okay? Oh, yeah. The, uh, those little things. I, I was doing taglines on commercials like you'd have a movie commercial, and uh, you would tell the days it was showing. And um, so, for an example, I, I was doing one, and I said, um, it ended, and the time came for the announcer, and I said, see, from the Earth to the Moon, at the Wing Theater, this Friday and Saturday? <laughs> I was a teenager, and my voice was changing. 
How embarrassing. Uh, did anybody mention it to you? Oh, yeah. Oh, I, the guys uh, at school were not kind. You could always and, count and, on somebody. Oh, and Bruce's dad, the, the manager of the station, was leaving for lunch about that time. He stuck his head in the control room and said, are they having different showings? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you poor guy. I am so sorry. Oh, I was red-faced for a week. Oh, I'll bet you were. Uh, there are always people who will make sure that they stand up and say, I heard this, I heard this. Uh, yeah, yeah. I am really sorry. Now, before you got to Germany with the Armed Forces Radio Network, uh, you you were dealing with a pretty good and robust southern accent. Am I correct? You grew up in the south, so oh, you yeah. had a pretty good one. Yeah, that's a nice, light, white kind of pronunciation, the short E sounds. Sure. And, okay, now, you do not have that pronounced southern accent today. What did you do and what happened that your voice or your pronunciation changed, not your voice? I think um, one thing is that I've been cheated out of my birthright. Because I go back home and I hear, you know, my friends with these, uh, there's nothing more pleasant to me than spoken word in southern accent, especially a lady. And, uh, but I still like to hear it. But I was taught that you, you didn't have an accent. You tried to sound like maybe you were from Nebraska or somewhere. Uh-huh. And not uh, somewhere in middle America where you didn't have regionalism. And the biggest help for that was the Army. Um, because we, uh, announcers from all over the country were thrown together in this, in this company. And it um, gave us a chance to pick out each other's weaknesses in those areas and kind of point them out in a good-natured way, and it, it really helped. But I, t I was telling Walden once um, that his association with uh, Walden, forgive me, is it Kitty Callan? Walden? Yes, yep. yes, Kitty Callan, you bet. Okay. Um, I particularly like to listen to singers the way they pronounced words and phrases. The music was one thing, but I kept noticing that, uh, for an example, Oh, Paul Anka had a song called uh, Dance On, Little Girl, Dance On and On and On. In Georgia, we would have said, Dance On, Little Girl, On and On and On. <laughs> so you, you started to figure, well, that's not the way we say that. And, and I, I worked on from a lot from songs, and uh, that was just, uh, like, I guess, my own way, but it, it, it seemed to work. That's really interesting. I never considered, but of course you're right. Well, I was thinking that the easy, when you were breaking in, knowing in the in the fifties, that was still the Perry Como, the Doris Day, the Kitty Cow, and the Joe Stafford. All those people had that pronunciation. And they also were slower in their words, so that you had an opportunity to really hear the sounds that they were making. They didn't run together. Exactly. Yeah. The uh... Other example is Perry Como's Wanted. Yes. It's Wanted in the South. Wanted. Wanted, wanted. yeah. And I, I said, that's not the way we saw it. I kept picking these out of uh, songs. And uh, I haven't told anybody until now that that was part of my system. I never thought anybody would be interested, but that was one, one way I found to kind of work on the accent. That's really interesting. When you go back to Georgia or Kentucky and the, the southern places you have lived, do you immediately fall back into the regional speech? A little, a little bit, but I would have to do it very consciously in order to do it, because I've worked on going the other way with it so so long. Yeah. 
um, that I, I couldn't. Uh, some some people say that they can still detect it, and they very well may be if they have a good ear. Because um, a lot of us, things still just hang on. You can't, you know, get rid of all of them. And now it seems that that's sort of the style of the way of uh, a lot of people have made made a good living. I, I worked with, uh, excuse me, had the pleasure of working with Red Barber down in uh, Miami. Whoa. And if you, you remember him. Uh-huh. And his accent. And um, he was from Sanford, incidentally, Pat. I did not know that. Yeah. Baseball is built for southern accents. I'm sorry, what? Baseball is built for southern accents. Red Barber did baseball for a while. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mel Allen from uh, Alabama. So if you think about it, a lot of those famous broadcasters that did sports were from the South. Mm-hmm. So you missed your calling, <laughs> knowing you could have been in baseball all this time. But that's really interesting about the Southern accent. So when you were in Germany, and I want you to talk about what you were involved in and how you got there, but when you were in Germany, you were actually with a group of people. You had your own speakers bureau where you were doing um, coaching with each other, if I heard you correctly. That's right, yeah, and it, and it was in a good-natured way. Uh, occasionally go a little far, you know, you dumb Southerner. It's not the way you say that. But, um, yeah, that that was, uh, you know, you make, you make friends and that you work with every day, like any place, any studio or radio station in the state. Uh-huh. And, um, sure, we had guys from New York that... Uh, you know, had a, had a very heavy accent. Uh-huh. Were, were, had a good voice, and they they projected themselves well. Except there was just that little little bit of a a sound that was not pleasing to the ears, so to, so to speak, for everybody. So that's why they try to get you to be just as neutral as possible. Yeah, iron the wrinkles out of your voice. Tell me about the Armed Forces Radio Network. How did you get? there? How did you get to Germany where you were involved with it? And what were you doing there? The um, involvement came because I, I was in college in the uh, Vietnam years, or the beginning of the Vietnam years. And things were heating up, and I was uh, working <laughs> working at a radio station, surprise, surprise, up in Chattanooga <laughs> while I was in school. And um, I had a friend whose father was the Army recruiter, and he said... Um, Dad was noticing the other day that they have a, a, a job in the Army for a, a broadcast specialist, it's called, and they'll train you and you can work in your civilian field. And I thought, well, that's interesting. The more I thought about it, I think, thought, well, if I volunteer now, my, you can choose the, the, your duty uh, station, your, the place where you're going to work. And you can request it. And uh, it can be Europe, it could be the Far East, it, it could have been the States. So I went in and um, had heard that that Germany had the biggest network of, uh, of them all for all of the Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. And so I put my ha- uh, bid in for that, and I, I signed up for the uh, the three years. And uh, it turned out to be very beneficial. They, we went to school to see how to do it the Army way. They trained you in newspaper as well as radio. So that you could you can serve two areas wherever you were needed, and uh, so it turned out that, like so many other guys, I found out that, that we were sent to newspaper bases in the beginning, and I thought, well, this is uh, not what I wanted really, but it, it'll it'll work until something else comes along, and 
and I really was glad I did that because I, I had about three months at this uh, Army base, the 3rd Division. That was the one that, um, oh, help me, the uh, young man was the most decorated soldier in the history of the World War II. Oh, uh, uh, Audie, um, Audie Murphy? Yes, thank you. Okay. That's where, where he served, and, and so it was a, really a prestigious outfit. And uh, so I wrote feature stories and took my camera and went around. And, uh, and But I learned what those guys were doing over there that weren't exactly, you know, we're not at war over there, but they're training. And it's really hard work, and the weather is awful. I think uh, summer came on a Tuesday one year when I was there. <laughs> it's just, just as cold as it could be. And um, they had to work out with these tanks and armor ve armored vehicles and so forth. So a few months of that, and I was ready to, and I was listening to AFN, and I'm thinking, you know, that guy's pretty good, but I can do that. I can, I can, I can do as well as he's doing on that. And, um, you know, no lack of confidence here. <laughs> I got my ears spent back a couple of times with that kind of attitude. But the uh, fact was that I got on the telephone and found out how to call the program director up there, <laughs> pardon me, and, I, and made an appointment for an audition. And I had no idea how hard it was going to be. I was told later that the audition, and I have a copy sometime if, you, if you'd like to see it, was uh, the same one that they gave for NBC in New York. And uh, full of classical music names, and then go back to simple things like write a public service announcement, introduce this record, what does the term segue mean in the music business, and things like that. They really and put before, you through your paces on that one. I'm sorry? They really put you through your paces. This was oh, not yeah. an amateur deal at all. You know, they, they weeded out a lot, a lot of us that way, but I, I was also armed with three or four reference letters that told what I had done in the States. And uh, that didn't hurt a thing. And before I left that day, I was hired. They said, we'll put the paperwork through, and it'll be uh, about two weeks, and uh, you can make the transfer. Nolan, do I you have any idea how many people were competing for the job? Gosh, I don't know. Um, a lot were just assigned directly. And then those, there were a lot of people I heard later that were at field stations, uh, affiliates like it would be um, NBC station out in... Uh, San Francisco or something. Mm -hmm. um, the affiliate would want to come to the network level, and they would they would apply and come in and take those tests. But that would not be information I'd be privileged to see. I don't don't know how many, but I was, I felt fortunate, and um, I never looked back. That was uh, the probably the most intense two years of training that I ever had in the field, and it was all free. Wow. That is really interesting. So when so you landed this job, what was your first assignment? It was called, uh, pardon me, the, the first assignment was in a department called Special Events. And um, the that, of course, is exactly what it said, uh, covering events in, the, in and around the, the uh, or in and around Europe, wherever there might be a story involving a, a, an army uh, lead to it, you know, a connection. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was fumbling around. I think I have the first, if you can bear with me, the first uh, assignment that I did was, uh, oddly enough, a female singer named Joni James, who also has marvelous diction and is 
not bad looking either. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> she lives in Chicago now, everybody. So, very talented, talented lady. If um, if you all can entertain each other a second, okay. I'll see if I can find that. All right. Yeah, I'm not very that's, organized here. Oh, that's okay. We're, that we're, would be great. We're talking to Nolan Kinner tonight, everybody. And Patricia and I are very honored and blessed to have him. And we're going to look through his career uh, that Patricia has put together. <laughs> Patricia put together uh, a list of questions based on um, a trust arrangement here. Nolan did not have a copier. His printer pooped. Just every piece of equipment he owned that would allow me to get my hands on some printed material about him went out, and he is trusting me with his private treasures of articles, letters. Uh, these are things out of his personal collections, and I have sworn that I will not burn down the building. I do not smoke. I do not have a cat. <laughs> I am protecting this with my life, so I have to put it back together and get it back to him, but I think that was just very special that he would trust me with this. So based on the information that's in there is how I put together some questions tonight, and I hope that Nolan's going to fill in the spaces for me along the way. Are you with us, Nolan? Uh, yes, I'm sorry. I'm just jump right in when you're ready. Okay, can you hear me now? You bet. Oh, sure. Sound like a telephone commercial. <laughs> hey, uh, this was a program called On the Scene, and I was uh, given the assignment to interview Joni James, and I'm a nervous, uh, first-time nervous GI, but she was very kind. Let's, here it goes. Turn it up. We lost it. This is Tuesday, October 6th. There we go. Tonight on the scene travels to Frankfurt, West Germany, and the Plantation EM Club, where Army PFC Nolan Kenner is backstage with a special guest. Ladies and gentlemen, we're backstage just before the performance of a young lady that has, to her credit, 12 gold records and four platinum records. Joni James, welcome to AFN. Thank you. It's nice to be here because I listen to you all day long at my hotel. Oh, thank you so much. Nice to be on the other side for a change. What brings you to Europe? Well, mostly to do a tour of all the armed force installations uh, all through Germany, France, and Italy. And then I'm going to do some television in Spain and Madrid. What uh, songs do the people in the service seem to prefer? Well, I was just saying that I think it has to do with uh, how old they are or which had sentimental significance, you know, depending on where they were back home, when which one was released, and all that sort of stuff. Of course, the most famous ones, I think everybody likes the most. Biggest, you know, your cheating heart, why don't you believe me, things like that. Everyone seems to remember these. There goes my heart, yes, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Now these, uh, which are the four platinum records? Uh, the first four that I, uh, had released uh, in the beginning of my career. Why don't you believe me? Have you heard your cheating heart, my love, my love? Well, uh, back at the uh, AFN studios, our engineers have all four of those records, and oh, they can they can play one right now. Oh. Which one would, would you like for us to play? I think you should play the first one. Why don't you believe me? All right, let's hear that right now. Great. That was your first assignment? Yes, it was. How old were you? You had a great voice, you know, and you 
what, how old were you then? 21, 22? Uh, let's see, about 22, I think. Wow. That, I'm I'm really impressed. I, unless you told me, I never would have guessed that that was a first or early assignment. You really sounded great. Thank you for playing that. Well, thank you for your comments. I I think part of it uh, was that Joni was so uh, um, reachable and and very very nice. And uh, we shook hands, and she held my hand through half the interview. Uh. I, I didn't know where to look or what to do. I was just bumbling around. You know. How did you set that up? Did did they did somebody arrange that, or did you have to call um, the theater? How did you you remember how would that put together? Yeah, I, I can't take credit for setting it up, but the uh, special events department is contacted by uh, the, the service clubs mm -hmm. to get um, uh, schedules of when celebrities will be there. And the other thing is to the other way around, they want publicity for the show, and it uh, made a good marriage. I did um, see Jimmy Rogers. Remember Honeycomb? Oh yeah. We did uh, an interview with him over there, and uh, several more. I can't remember at the top of my head. It's been you have to forgive me. It's been forty years. Oh yeah. Very good. Go ahead, Patricia. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm I'm still listening, Nolan. This is really interesting. Now, when you went out on assignment, did you broadcast back? to the station? Was it a direct broadcast, or did you come back with a recording? It was a recording. Some of the radio magic there to so make the song come up when, when she asked for it. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, that, that, it all, and we had very nice editing facilities for tape. And um, that's another thing I learned over there, how to, how to edit tape and, and uh, make corrections and mistakes and things like that. It was yeah. uh, good, good training there, too. The um, the special plane that came in where you did and elbowed your way and climbed up the ladder did that was that covered under special events? Uh, actually, no. I had, by that time, I had become a DJ as part of my duties, and they they thought it would be best if a, a disc jockey went out to. Uh, we're talking about the landing of the Beatles. Uh huh. I didn't okay. want to give it away. Yeah. Um. And uh, so they, they assigned me that, and we, we got lucky and got one or two sentences out of one of the Beatles. Uh, I have that, too. I'm sorry I'm so disorganized, but I, I lost my cue sheet. My computer <laughs> did something strange. It was only, Pat was nice enough to send me a, a whole agenda that she, I saw it on the screen, and I tried to print it, and it would only print what was in yellow. And it, and and it gave up. I did send you an email with it copy and pasted right in the email. So if you can access that particular email, you'll be able to bring it up as well. Uh, while you're working with your hands there, can you describe what happened when you got to the airport, what you had to do in order to uh, to reach a beetle? Well, there, there was a lot of... Uh... As a matter of fact, the interview start or the little special starts off with it, asking uh, one of the Frankfurt police what what he was doing there that day. And uh, but with the magic AFN on your microphone and and, uh, and dressed in a first class uniform, you don't have much trouble going anywhere. I'll have to admit, uh, I don't don't remember any problem at all. And we got out on the airfield where hardly anybody was allowed. And. Uh, the, uh, as it turned out, the, the uh, only way I could get an interview with a Beatle is he spotted me. 
they, it was so crowded with the press at the bottom of the, the steps. In those days, they rolled the steps out to the airplane. Mm-hmm. And um, the German press was all over the steps and halfway up, and the three of the Beatles were all hemmed in there. There was not a chance in the world I was going to be able to elbow my way into that crowd. And so I walked back around to try to get some background uh, recording. And apparently, well, not apparently, Ringo Starr spotted my AFN microphone. And he called down and said, AFN? And I said, yes. I said, can I talk to you if I can get up there? And he, he motioned for me to come on up. And uh, I think I have it queued up here. Let's, uh, let's see what will happen. This will be a little special. I do feel special. You, you have not played these. We're almost there. Thank you. Here we go. It was the summer of 1964, and the Beatles were coming home. After a triumphant tour of Australia, the Beatles were back. Their return made the front pages of the Western World's newspapers. And to cover a brief stopover in Frankfurt, the American forces at work sent Army PFC Nolan Kenner to Rhinemine International Airport. At the airport, Bedlam was slowly breaking loose as Nolan located four teenage daughters of military personnel stationed in Europe. Hi, what's your name? Kathy Riley. How long have you been here? Since 30 last night. Since 12.30 last night? Yes, sir. What's your name? Rosita Dalton. Anna Smolka. Dan Mangus. Four teenagers have been selected, the four teenagers that we just talked to, by the press corps to uh, be here to see the Beatles and, if possible, talk to them and get autographs and pictures. The remainder of the group that was out to meet the Beatles has been held back because of these girls. Let's pick up this song. Leave the plane. They only came out on the steps to talk with the press and wave to their many fans. 
Owen Kenner managed to get his AFN microphone up to Ringo's star by climbing up the side of the steps, the bottom of which was clogged by the German press. There was only time for a couple of quick questions before the big jet took off again for England. Talk with you. Ben, all right? Just fine. Ringo, glad to know you. How was the trip? Oh, a bit of a drag, you know. 30-odd hours we've been sitting on the plane. How about the reception you had in Australia? It was very good. It was? Yeah. We had some reports of some trouble. Everybody's had some reports. Really? It was about four people out of 6,000, so, you know. They blew the story out of proportion. Yeah. They, they always do. Thank you very much, Tom. Okay. Get an autograph? Yes, I did. Oh, is it up Yeah? How did you manage to get the autograph when no one else could get close to them? But, uh, how, how did you get to them? Uh, I have, uh, ich habe ihn gegeben hoch an die Gangway. Up, got up the Gangway? Yes. And you have, how many autographs do you have? Yes, all. All, all four? Oh boy. Yeah. Four. On a record jacket with a, with a picture. Thank you for talking with us. Hi, what's your name? Theater. You? Ingrid. <laughs> did you see the Beatles? Yes. yes. How did you get over here? Oh, we came from... from... <laughs> you, walk, you walked all the way over here from the main, yeah, the main yes, airport? Yes, yes. Through all this sand? Yes. You, you had to take your shoes off? Yeah. But you got to see the Beatles. Oh, yeah. What did you think of them? <laughs> wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. And the Beatles have just re-entered the plane and parting the airport here at Frankfurt International. The 14-H girls that uh, were here since 12.30 last night have as a souvenir a beer glass, and, but no autograph. As far as, as close as they got was the ramp of the plane, but uh, they got away from the Beatles. And they seem to be very happy and still very much excited. while the special was on and I was getting back together. I'm sorry, I missed the last... It's, that's okay. You do not have to explain as long as we didn't lose you. I just loved it. Uh, the kids in the background squealing, look at the plane, look at the plane. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah, anything connected with them was special. You know, the oh, my God. glasses. And, but uh, I think we caught the essence of it. You absolutely but, did. I mean, did it, and what year was this again, please? Uh, say again. What year was this? Uh, 64. 1964. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, did you put 
did you put that together yourself, Nolan, or did did they have somebody else to edit all that together? No, that was me. Wow. We we, we had dual jobs. You know, you would go out and do it. You, you had your own. Now, sometimes you could get help, especially if you were working toward a deadline. But that was kind of, that was a soft piece feature material. But I, I, I confided in Pat about something that I reluctantly tell about this interview, and I think she knows what I'm about to uh-huh. say. Yeah. I uh, went out, Ringo, as you heard in the introduction there, he was very friendly. But prior to that, I said, which, I had to say, which Beatle are you? And he said, Ringo Starr, and I said, I'm glad to meet you. That didn't make air. <laughs> but and my kids get the biggest kick out of that because they, they know who each one is, and they're, you know, adults. Yeah. But what happened was that in Armed Forces Radio, you don't get record albums with pictures on them. We got. Uh, we used to say our music was repressed, the meaning that they was they would take the albums and and put them in Manila, uh, army, army olive drab envelopes and send them uh-huh. out that way to the different countries that where we were serving. So we didn't unless you had and we didn't have uh, fan magazines. We didn't have Billboard or any of those uh, publications, industry publications. So the fact was, I had not seen a picture. I didn't know which one was which, and I had to ask the dumbest question in the world. So it was uh, a matter. It, it truly was. You didn't know and had no way of knowing, as opposed to being casual about a popular group. Yes, very well put. Better than I did. <laughs> well, you, you didn't have Nolan. Why did they restrict things like album covers? It, just the expense. It was not uh, anything. When I said repressed, I meant pressing of a record. Uh-huh. They were repressed into yeah. uh, the Army version, and the labels were taken off. But it was, no, it was uh, only, that would be wasted ink as far as the service is concerned. They, they, you got the music, worked yeah, with it. I'm, it wasn't any part of a Cold War or anything like that. No, no, to the best of my knowledge. Now, there may have been some politics going on with music in those days because the uh, writers of the songs had to give permission to the government to use them, and most of them did. I don't think they I wouldn't know if they didn't. You know, we only know that a lot of them, a lot of them did. Mm-hmm. And I think you had a, someone concerned one night earlier this week or maybe last about what happened to all those records when, you know, the, we, we went to satellite and there, there was no need for local programming of music. That's right. Right. The, uh, I was told that, and this is by Trent Chrisman, who was the uh, overall program director for the network when I was there. And he, he says that he was there when this was happening. That they they had over a million selections of uh, music and programming in that library there in Frankfurt, and the outside field stations had at least one copy of, of uh, most of it. But the, the files there went back to the Glenn Miller days in the 40s when the AFN first started, and these were these acetate recordings and very very valuable, and all of those were were sent to the uh, Library of Congress, and the other song the other programs like we would have a complete run of Gunsmoke. And maybe have, and, and in many, in most cases, have two copies. One was a backup, so they would destroy one and send, put the other one in a Ziploc bag, as he described it, and it was sent off to the Library of Congress. So, not to worry, those things did get saved. Okay, I, I feel better. I'm a little sensitive to losing things like that. Now, Nolan, where, how far did the AFN broadcast? Where was the farthest place people might have heard it? Well, let's see. Um, incidentally, did that schedule get into the, your little packet of things? I didn't see sure. it, no. I'm sorry about it, but you will get it. I'll, I'll see that you get it. 
it lists uh, hundreds of of stations, literally. The, the, uh, what are they called? Booster stations. Uh -huh. In other words, they were not studios, but they were just transmitter sites where they would pick the signal up and rebroadcast it so that it would go farther. But um, to answer your question, I had mail from London, and I had mail from uh, we had affiliates in, uh, affiliation in France. And it was the oddest thing. Uh, for some reason, they would only let us be on FM in France. I don't know what that was about. Again, political. But uh, the uh, I don't know if I'm answering your question. I, some of the uh, greatest distances would be Rome. I was in in Rome and on leave. And um, it was at the, what is it, Trevi Fountain? Uh -huh. And there, there were the bunch of hairy-legged guys, you know. <laughs> it's a very romantic place, but not, not the place to be. <laughs> so I had this uh, radio, and I turned it up, and, and I heard myself coming back from the Frankfurt Tower. Oh, my gosh. Was, was kind of a thrill. That is really no interesting. Uh, Nolan, tell me what typical assignments for the special events group and for the recording and broadcast, like with the um, Beatles landing at, it wasn't Mannheim, which airport was it? Rhein-Main. Rhein-Main, okay. Mm -hmm. um, what, what were typical assignments? I'm assuming that the Beatles were exceptional. Oh, absolutely, yes. Uh, it, it could be also covering the uh, big promotion of a, a general somewhere in, in Europe. Uh, something as mundane as a, a new rifle that had been furnished the troops and you'd go out and interview the, the guys that uh, <laughs> that uh, are firing them and how they like them. And I know uh, this one quote, and I, a guy was from the South, and God bless him, they asked him what he thought of the weapon, and he said, it's real good accurate. <laughs> and I think he, he summed it up pretty well there. I about three words. <laughs> I understood what he said. That's a great evaluation. You don't waste a lot of ink and paper when you give evaluations like that. Absolutely. And it shortens the newscast, too. And how? How long were you associated, and how long did you spend time with the network there? Uh, two years. What two, was two, the... I, I had to come back a little early. My uh, father was ill and had a serious operation, and I had to come back about three weeks early. And... Um, the, uh, you know, I regretted that. I, I didn't regret going home. He lived and everything's okay. But um, I would have liked to have had that additional three three weeks because uh, that's when you start having the short time parties, as they call them. Mm -hmm. I had already oh, yeah. shipped my car back. I had bought. Uh, oh, short timers, yes. Hey, yeah, short timers. You know that. Yeah, I know that. What are the two most valuable lessons you learned while you were in Germany? Uh, don't drink beer in excess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, beer, thinking, beer is quite strong over there. We had a lot of guys get in trouble because they would try to consume what they did in the States, and that, that would put you out, you know, yeah. it's, it's higher alcoholic content. Yeah, um, it's robust. Yes. Gosh, I, I think one, one thing that became apparent about after the first year in there that a lot of what happens in small market radio applies with the big guys, too. A lot of the same things that you, you, you wouldn't think. Um, because we had, in Trent Christman's book, uh, Brass Button Broadcasters, he says that the 60s were the golden years of AFN, that, that more people passed through there that uh, went on to uh, greater things. Like we had, uh, well, Nick Clooney was there uh, earlier 
than I. Of course, I, Nick's got a son. You might have heard of him named George, mm. who's, who's my children's age. So uh, we had a very close mutual friend, and I got to meet Nick, and he was there in the uh, late 50s going into the 60s, and he was, uh, you probably know better than I, he was an anchorman in Los Angeles and... Yep, Cincinnati and... Big big markets. Very much. Cincinnati. Can you describe your your uh, your shift, your working schedule, and what would be a typical day like for Nolan Kenner? Well, in the, the final year, uh, I was uh, called a night supervisor, I guess you'd say. that I used to like to think I was in charge of prime time, but it's... Uh, actually was working from about four in the afternoon till midnight and uh, it, it really suited me I, I enjoyed that those hours I, I think I heard Patricia talking about maybe we were talking about it uh, Patricia about working different hours on the clock uh-huh. which is better and, and uh, I've worked every trick there is on the clock and I think that was the one I, I preferred was the evening and then I had uh, weekends free and Sunday off and we could go play but um, <laughs> But we had we had 40-hour weeks, actually. They, uh, I hadn't thought about that in a long time, but we did. The announcer schedules and news people would come out to be a 40-hour week. With, uh, depending on how it was structured, you might have two weekend days off or just one, maybe. Uh, and everything was kind of a trade-off. They were very fair about that. How much was it on air? Of that 40-hour work week, how much do you think you'd be on air and how much you had to be, you know, behind the scenes preparing for your show? Well, let's see, of course, a lot of that time is uh, doing station breaks for the uh, network, but I, I had the Thurman and the Captain show, which was 15 minutes a day, and then I was responsible for a program called Music in the Air, which uh, may play an excerpt from that a little later. Um, most popular program in Europe, uh, beside Thurman and the Captain, <laughs> which we'll talk about. But the uh, it was dinner music, just instrumental, and... It was had been on forever, and it had as big a European following as it did uh, Americans in, in Europe. What did you play? I don't play? know why. I just hit it at the right time. And what, what kind of music did you play? Very uh, Percy Faith, Frank Shacksfield. Um, very easy listening. In fact, that was the whole theme of the thing: is for dining, dancing, or just easy listening. Dining, dining, listening. I forgot now. It's in the intro. It was the same every night. I, I blew it now, but. Uh, <laughs> Been a few years. You'll have to forgive me. Now, before we move on to Thurman and the Captain, and boy, I really want to hear about that. You mentioned <laughs> today that you had you got away with something very special on your last broadcast night on Music in the Air. What oh, was that? Yeah. Let's see. Uh, and I think I have that that shaky recording. The um, the program was in segments, and you do uh, four songs and then come in and back announce them and say what they were and who, who the performer was. And I had uh, structured my last four songs to be, to end with, uh, well, I was, I was going to, I told my girlfriend to listen at 720, or 8, let's see, uh, 759, or uh, 1959 hours, and uh, be sure and listen. And the last song in the group was off Eater's Hay. And that was something that was special because... Well, you know, she'd been a special young lady to me, but we both knew that there was no future in uh, continuing the relationship because I was going to be so far away and she had plans for school and so forth. But, uh, you know, the soft part in my head for her right now and will always be. But that Uh was just the way somebody (laughs) said, you're using the whole American Forces Network to make love to your girlfriend. 
well, I sneak, you know, kind of sneaked it in there. That's I don't remember it. anybody ever taking advantage of the situation like that. That wasn't, that was coded and it would, nobody, it would not hurt anything, but you would be tempted to make a little speech, you know, some would. You yeah. know, this is my final time to say, this is the American Forces Network. But I never remember anybody doing that. And I, it was the caliber of people that they, they kept there, not blowing my own horn, but you, you had to have a top secret clearance to work at AFN. And no, only enlisted men were allowed to be uh, personalities uh, on the air mm-hmm. or read news or do anything else. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, that that makes a whole lot of sense. It was I, I was particularly intrigued that you found a way to get in, in, a personal message out over the air when no one was allowed to do that. But you found a way to do it and do it well. Well, well, thank you. I didn't think it was all that clever at the time, but I guess it. Uh, if I still remember it, it, it was uh, kind of nice that it worked out that way. And it was. And if it I was memorable. It. I have a question before we go to Thurman and the captain. Do I recall that you and Frank Brzee were talking on air one Friday night on Walden's show with Frank, and you discovered that both of you were over there at the same time? Well, we were, but we didn't discover it. We, were, we remembered each other from the visit that he made. He was touring the outlets and the radio stations that carried his program. Okay, so you actually did meet him over there. Okay. Right, and and I was assigned, oddly enough, to uh, take this person around who I didn't know was Little Beaver. I didn't know <laughs> that he had the show on Armed Forces Radio. Uh-huh. They just said, this is Mr. Brzee from California, and he'd like to look around the, the network. And I said, well, certainly. And so I was taking him around, explaining to him how you take things. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and, and how you... Uh, have to avoid print through on tapes when you store them and all this stuff. And here's a guy that was chasing Jack Benny around the country, taping, editing his program now. Yeah. I felt so. I really felt stupid later. Well, how how could you know? And at least, at the very least, he came away comfortable that you knew what you were doing. Well, yeah, maybe so, maybe so. But we uh, continued. I, I told the story the other night about he owns the rights to Dangerous Assignment. Uh huh. The series, and at the time, he was trying to sell the television version to somebody in, in, in Germany or Europe. And um, you couldn't, film is a very difficult thing to get through customs. It's very complicated, at least it was in those days. The, and now I guess it's not a problem, they just shoot it over there with a satellite. But um, it wasn't much problem to send a package to a GI. And so he wrote me a note and said, Can I, would I deliver these for him? And when you get them, if you've got a projector, you and the guys enjoy them for as long as you like, then please take them to this address, downtown Frankfurt. And uh, I, I felt kind of like the man from Man Called X, you know, <laughs> kind of a spy thing. I'm going through the streets of Frankfurt with this contraband <laughs> and uh, delivered it and met the guy at his office and thanked profusely. And then a few, a few days later, this package arrives with five pass-out games in it. You, you, are you familiar with Frank's game? Yes, Pass I out? am. Yes. Well, the Germans weren't. <laughs> so we, there was a favorite bar across the street from the uh, network. And we would go over there for uh, different meals and, and uh, beer in the early afternoon or late afternoon. But we got in one of the booths and started playing the, the drinking game. Well, it drew a crowd. They, guys were standing around, didn't speak a word, word of English, and would watch us do the guy, the dice, and go around and then take a drink and then go. 
and they were just fascinated, and we uh, entertained them there for quite a, quite a while, but Frank gets a kick out of that story. The, um, my whole uh, career might have changed if, had I gone a different way. I got, uh, Frank said, when you come back, call me and come out to California. I know some people. <laughs> he knows some people. And uh, <laughs> you might guess you're, you're putting the door out there, but that's where it all happens, you know, it's entertainment capital. Uh-huh. And I said, that's great. That really is. I'll, I may take you up on that. When I got back to the States, my parents had moved while I was in the Army, but I found them anyway. You know that, <laughs> how that works. And uh, so I went there and stayed a few a few weeks, I guess it was, and, and then uh, trying to reacclimate to Eastern time in the United States. It was six hours difference, and I was really messed up there for a long time. Yeah. But the... Uh, the fact, oh, and I, I called, I had an aunt in Miami, and I knew that that was a thriving market, and there there uh, was a lot of good opportunity in there, that area, and I was a lot closer to Miami than I was to Los Angeles. So I called Frank and told him, thank you anyway, but I think I'm going to follow up on something. I have an aunt and uncle that live in Miami, and they they know a man named George Storer, and he, he has some, almost a radio station there, <clears throat> and I'm going to go with, with their help get a, a appointment. And uh, he's very gracious, you know, come out and see us. And we kept in touch all, the, all those years. And then we met up again on Bill Station. And just just one of those things. But I often wonder what would happen if I had gone out to the Hollyweird. And yeah. uh, I, I think I would have had my clock clean and my ears pinned back. And I think I did the right thing. But well, the, the odd thing about Thurman and the captain is the basis of the whole uh, show is that the captain, who's a, a pirate, didn't know when his birthday was, one thing, so we built a machine that gave everybody's birthday every day, and I'll explain that a little later, but the captain was trying to get back to Miami, and uh, oddly enough, uh, I made it, Thurman made it, but he didn't. He went back to Detroit. So uh, it's uh, ironic the way things things work yeah. out. Talk about that for a minute. When you're talking about Thurman and the captain going to different places, you partnered with someone to put together a kids' show named Thurman and the Captain. So talk about that for a couple of minutes. Okay. Um, we were at uh, probably that same bar. We were, a lot of brilliant decisions were made there, you understand. <laughs> and the more we drank, the, you know, the greater they were. But we, I started thinking, if you notice that on our schedule that there no, there's no children's programming, there's not a single show on this network except maybe for Big John and Sparky on Sunday morning. And I, I said, I often thought that the, uh, and you remember the, almost every market had a kid show, and it would have a, a deputy sheriff or a sheriff and a, a goofy clown and cartoons and uh, birthdays and silly games and things like that. Did, did, do you two remember those? Sure. And you're you old enough to remember that they had them. You, you bet. And I, I said, you know, why can't you do that on radio? I said, in fact, you could do it better on radio because you got the imagination working for you. And Jim had shown me this character that he did, this voice that he did, which is absolutely amazing, it's, uh, that he did as a pirate. And I had done uh, work with a, a, a good friend in Chattanooga with a, a, a voice of an old man that I, I tried to do. Now I have no trouble doing it at all. <laughs> But I'm, I'm 26, trying to sound like I'm 86, and now I'm 86, trying to sound like I'm 26. Well, not really 86, yeah. But the uh, that was kind of ironic. But we, we said, you know, we'll take all those elements and make a radio show out of them. 
And uh, so we, the, the premise was that these two guys were stranded on an island. And um, the odd thing about it, like the, the, the captain would leave, uh, would come by Thurman's place and say, well, I'm going to the yard sale down at the beach. And there's nobody else in, within miles of the place. And, uh, yeah, okay, I'll be right here, Captain. You go ahead and do what you got to do. And he'll leave the cabin, and Thurman is mumbling about how silly he is, and he uh, goes down there and comes back with the strangest things, but it's never worth anything. So this day, he, he says, oh, here comes the captain. How'd you do, captain? And this car horn blows. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he's, he's done it again. He somehow has bought a car, and we never explained any, a lot of that. But it was on kind of two levels for the children and for the, the, the uh, adults that listened to it, which we found out later was... Was quite a quite a few, the, the, and, and the birthday thing was. Captain didn't know when his birthday was, so Thurman built a machine that would broadcast or announce every birthday that day. Everybody that was having a birthday, we did not solicit the first birthday through the mail or say anything about announcing them on the show. In fact, we used staffers' names the first time out, and it became the uh, greatest generation of mail of any program on the air. Before or since, they just covered us up. We had the had the uh, little jingle, uh, jingle bells, the uh, happy birthday song that we played, and we had to extend it three times because it became 60 seconds was not enough to get all the birthdays in. So we were really, really thrilled with that. Result. How many times a week did the show air? Five times. We did. Uh, I think. Um, our producer, Steve Singer, said we, we must have done somewhere around 800 of them by the time we left. And uh, then it was picked up by, we had a, we were syndicated, we were picked up by a station in Asmara, Ethiopia, which is in Africa. Ethiopia? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Another ar army base there. Okay. We have. And they somehow heard about the show and they, they ran it there. We have a caller for you, Nolan. Jim from Northern California. Hello there. Hello, Walden. Hello to your guests. No one can You bet. Uh, two questions about Armed Forces Radio. Sure. Recently, I've been listening to some of the gun smokes that were, and they're in about the 1957-58 era where there was a lot of AFRTS rebroadcast. And I hear a lot of the public service announcements on there that talk about things like Medicare and they, they talk about profiles of your favorite hometown, like Ni Niagara Falls or something, and they're rec recorded profiles, and they talk about the 1967 postage stamps and the like. I was curious, did Armed Forces broadcast those gun smokes like in the 70s with the 1960s or 70s ads? Were they like rebroadcast that way? That's, that's odd. I, I was thinking as you said those years that that didn't quite add up. Right. I don't know. I've heard some of them. And they have, like, you know, they, they talk about the 1967 Christmas stamp and the like. So I was just curious, did AFRS replay a lot of those in the 60s and 70s with those taglines, I guess is what I'm curious about. Yes, um, you're, you're right, because we were playing them in the 60s is when I was there. And in the mid-60s, we did have Gunsmoke on. Mm -hmm. Those... Uh, that you heard were were, were put together in uh, Los Angeles, mm -hmm. and uh, that was how the uh, how those got in there. They just filled where the commercials were. They had to fill the time. Right. 
And I know they, uh, the, the old gun smokes in the 50s, the armed forces ones, were sponsored by Army and Europe magazine. You hear the taglines for those. Oh, really? Yeah, but the other question I wanted to ask you was, I've heard some of the No School Today, Big John and Sparky shows that were armed forces broadcast. And I know that his show was on a, originally on ABC, and it was, uh, and they have like 1965 dates on them. And I was curious, were those rebroadcast of his old 50s show, or did, or did John Arthur redo those exclusively for Armed Forces Radio in the 60s? No, they, they were rebroadcast, uh, and I, I think in almost every case. They, they would uh, take them off air in many, many instances in Los Angeles when they were still being broadcast and, and uh, put them on tape, make discs, and ship them out. And I guess the, I guess there must have been hundreds of discs of, of radio shows that uh, well, that Armed Forces carried. And the other question I was curious about was when Armed Forces Radio would carry a network event, like a presidential speech or a space shot or something, because I used to listen to that on shortwave a lot. Of course, they had access to all four radio networks and all three television networks. And I was curious... Whenever a news event like that occurred, did they kind of balance it? Like for one event, they would carry uh, CBS, and the next event, they'd carry NBC and et cetera. And how do they determine which network to carry uh, for a given event? That's a very good question. I, I didn't work in news directly, but I, I would imagine that it was uh, based on previous experience or contacts with those people in the, uh, the network business here. Of course, the only thing we had was the transatlantic cable, which really does sound archaic now, but that was uh, leased for baseball games and news events, and the, uh, that was, there was no satellite in those days. And uh, the uh, events also had to be covered in such a way that the commercials could be removed. Right. But in, in Europe, that wasn't real. You had time because the events were happening at 3 and 4 in the morning over there, you know, when they were happening here. So you'd have that, that time between the time it was going to be aired would be obviously several hours later, so they could take them out. But I, I do remember the guys doing baseball games and, and delaying them and taking the commercials out as, as they went, uh, just over there, on, operating with a, a couple of big Ampex tape machines. And they would stop it, and, and uh, when the commercial would end, restart it, sometimes insert something. Yeah, that must have been a mind-boggling mind mind task for those people that had to edit the radio shows back in the States to cut out the commercials and things that would be, uh, that you wouldn't be able to broadcast commercials or reference to current things. And that must have been a monumental task, that editing job, to edit those shows. I guess so. Uh, you know, the, in the whole time I was there, in two years, one commercial slipped through. Really? On the Arthur Godfrey program, we carried his his radio show, and it was—I forgot—it was some flower mix or something. And uh, I pointed it out to the program director, and he says, "Let me have that." He took the disc and left, and I don't ever—I never knew what happened, but it did. And it sounded so strange, you know, to hear a commercial on there. Yeah, but, uh, Nolan, when when you got the shows without the commercials, they were not the full twenty-nine and a half minutes that would air in a half-hour period. Did the armed forces ever drop in their own messages to fill in the time? Oh, yes. Uh, what kind that, of messages was, uh, did you drop? I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. What, what kind of messages would I be likely to hear? Um, very much like your caller mentioned earlier, uh, it might be a, 
a, a, a little old vignette on a town in America, or it might be savings bonds, it might be uh, any other service-related uh, service that was available to soldiers. Okay, so they were the dropped in on, on your end over there. Where did the information come from? Where did the bites come from? Would be, again, it came as a package to us. Those were done in Los Angeles. Got it. Okay. I, I know during World War II, um, we basically didn't have the main hub like you did in Germany, if I understand it right. No one can correct me. We had sort of the Mosquito Network, and I forget what they call it in Europe during the war. And I guess GIs sort of ran their own station, and they were notorious for playing, making up their own commercials. Did you do that, Nolan? Did you guys make up your own commercials in the 60s when you just wanted to create something? Uh, uh, commercials how? You mean a, oh, a real I, product? I, I, I have funny. I have funny jokes. You just made up a oh. product, and you just wrote, wrote copy just to try to break people up on over the air. Yeah, I... Um... The, the closest thing to that we did, I did, I, I used to enjoy uh, drop-ins or drops, they're called, or liners. Uh -huh. You take lift a line out of a old radio show, and then you tie it in with what you're saying, and it, sometimes it has a humorous event uh, or effect. And, but I never knew of anybody comp completely doing a, a commercial. Now, we did some for Thurman and the Captain. They did promotional announcements, 30-second spots for it. Uh, you know, it's coming on or listen now. It's on every day. 16, 45 hours. That was a strange thing to learn to do that. You give 24-hour time to on a disc jockey show. You know, yeah. 15 before the 14th hour and drive carefully. And <laughs> there you go. Oh, that's good. Well, thank you so much. Uh, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure. And, and I'm, we're, we're very grateful that Armed Force Service Radio saved a lot of these recordings because that's how many of us could complete runs of certain series like Gunsmoke and things that a lot of the networks did not keep. So we're very grateful to Armed Forces Radio for keeping those things. Very, very true, yes. I wish I brought more of them home. Well, thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye, Jim. Jim, um, Jim pointing out, Nolan, how did they allow you to make copies? What was sort of the, the, rule, the rule of thumb back in the mid-60s when you were at you know, Armed Forces Radio? Well, once you reach a, a certain level of, of uh, rank and grade in service and, and your job at the network, you pretty well were left alone, frankly. And I, the only objection they would have is if you used government tape and were sending <laughs> programs home that way. We never did that. The tape was available at the PX. Uh, so uh, a lot of us did, but I didn't know what was valuable. I didn't know what I would want later. You know, uh, they had the complete... We used a program called Star of Space, and I found out just a year or two ago that that's very collectible. And uh, we had the whole run. You know, I could have, could have, if I had brought all the Thurman and Captain shows home, we could have at least, you know, edited them, the back out of the program. We we made uh, serials out of those those 30-minute uh, shows. The Lone Ranger was particularly good for that because the way Fran Stryker and those people wrote, they, they would grab your attention about every two and a half to three minutes with, with something new happening, some shots fired or some, some action there, and then it would settle down with dialogue. Then it would happen again, something else. So it made great cliffhangers. And we'd do five days out of one 30-minute show. And uh, Fred Foy got a, a kick out of that. I was telling him how we worked it, but I said, we used your introduction. And my orders were to the production people never shorten the Lone Ranger's intro, regardless of how, how far we're going to run over Get it somewhere else. Because <laughs> it was always a thrill to hear that. I just hear him do it, and it set it up for the kids, too. That, that
that. I, I just love those kinds of stories. Did you keep and do you have any Thurman and the Captain episodes? Just happened to. <laughs> I, uh, this was not a setup, folks. <laughs> this is really a question. You've got one? You have a clip? Yeah, I do. And I, I, had, uh, I was going to ask Paulus tonight. He's uh, live and well. He was the producer on the program, and uh-huh. he, he had to take. We would go in and start ad-libbing. There was no script. We would come up with an idea. Sometimes that was very difficult to come up with an idea. Hello, Carl. You are on with Noel Kenneth. You know, I oh, I'm, I was always fascinated with Armed Forces Radio because we used to listen to it via shortwave. And um, the reason why I liked American Forces Radio was because we could listen to um, Major League Baseball games, you know, from different ballparks. Uh-huh. The question is, do you know, Nolan, if you can listen to American Forces on the Internet? You know, I'm sure... I'm trying to think. I, I don't think so because uh, there, there's a site for AFN that has listings of people that work there and their addresses and so forth, their websites. Uh-huh. But as far as uh, picking up the broadcast, I don't know. What, what? What you're saying is when you work for American Forces, they used to pick up our shows the, the via shortwave? Yes, uh-huh. Oh, okay. And the transatlantic cable. Ah. Uh-huh. Actually, an interesting story about that. Ray Breen was directly responsible for saving on Forces shortwave. Um, in the Carter administration in 1977, they had planned to drop that, and Ray Breen led a full-out Assault was a cause to try to save the short wave, and it did for a long time until I, I forget when they actually dropped it. By I think by the Persian Gulf, by the late 80s, they dropped it eventually. But uh, but he, Ray Bream and a lot of guys who were in armed forces just that would be just terrible to drop the short wave. Well, I was I was really disappointed too because I used to enjoy listening to um, armed forces radio and non-commercial things and and, and stuff. Uh, and, and like I said, because being a sports fan, I enjoyed um, listening to various baseball games. Not only one one particular team, but they, you know, they would they would um, broadcast different um, ball teams from different ballparks. I don't know who made the schedules and stuff, but it sure was was real informative, very interesting. And now we can't get it anymore. So, um, where were you when you were listening to it? Where was I? Uh huh. <laughs> I was in Hawaii. You were in Hawaii on the Big Island? No, in Oahu, in Honolulu, the, the capital of Hawaii, I guess, Oahu. So there, you can add that one, Nolan. But no, let me tell you, I, I really was fascinated by your uh, interview with Joni James. I I think one of the things that you, you will notice, um, Nolan, and... and Walden and Patricia is that before the old-time um, entertainers and radio personalities uh, were easier to get to than today's entertainers. 
I guess I guess so. Uh, I was kind of in, on the fringe of that that era, but we did have a pardon me a lot of people come entertain in in Germany. Yeah, because from from what I understand nowadays, when you want to interview somebody, you got to go to an agent, and then you have to learn how long you're going to talk to them, and then after that, if you say three minutes, or or they'll tell you, well, you can only have three minutes. And when it's three minutes is up, you cannot say, well, I have some more questions to ask you. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's it. You, you did your time. <laughs> but um, I, I'm sure people like Joni James and and uh, other people that you've interviewed in the past were more gracious than, than not. It's a good point. The, uh, part we didn't play of that interview, it was the ending. And I'm talking to her and, and wrapping up, and she's being introduced in the background. You can hear the MC introducing her. And she's, uh, she's still talking to you. So, she didn't say, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, that's it. Well, it was very fascinating. And I, and I, like, I like Joni James. I, she, she is one of my favorite vocalists. I like the, all the songs that she mentioned, Why Don't You Believe Me, and um, How Important Can It Be, and all these other things that she recorded. So you must have been thrilled and Boy, you had a gem of a collection if you kept that interview with Joni James. And by the way, I'm enjoying the rest of the show, and I'll say good night. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. And back to That's the- a nice man. Very nice. He's, and he's calling from Hawaii. He's still in Hawaii. Um, wow. You were going to, and I swear this was not a setup, people. <laughs> I was really asking about Thurman and the captain, if anything survived, and if... Nolan had anything, and well, the, what I want to play for you, uh, I was going to have Steve maybe on the show tonight, and I couldn't get that together, but he was the producer of the, the program, and we would go into a studio and just uh, have the thinnest idea of the plot to to work on, and sometimes we would build a, a, an entire week around a sound effects record. We would find something with... Um, like a, a diver with bubbles and things like that, and an idea would come from that. And we we ad-libbed the entire thing, and we started, they gave us a writer in the beginning, and we fired him in a week, because we, <laughs> we really didn't fire him, but, you know, we said we didn't need his services. And he, he, he was working himself to death to try to come up with something, and that's, that's a real chore for 15 minutes a day. Yeah. I have a lot more respect for soap opera people than I ever did before. But... Uh, Steve would take the tape and very patiently go back and edit out the, the bad parts and keep the good and come out with 14 minutes of uh, entertainment with the Lone Ranger and the birthday machine and the little mishaps that Thurman would have with the captain. And But I, I do have a little feature that he did, which is about two minutes, that he did on a show called Tempo in uh, Europe. The, the show was beginning to get so much attention. They gave us the two full pages of the uh, weekend edition of the Stars and Stripes magazine. Wow. We were just blown away, complete with artwork. And uh, I, I don't think we even knew up, up until we left how how popular it was. I'm not blowing my own horn here because there was two other guys involved with it. And we were we were having fun, frankly. And and uh, in some days we're, we're quite long and trying to come up with something different. But the end result was very rewarding, especially all those kids that, didn't have anything else to listen to. Because I quickly explained that there was no English-speaking television. There was only German television, which was the dullest programming. They had government 
agencies and representatives speaking. They might have a little dramatic something in the evening, but it was always very highbrow and classical, and the radio was the same. So the teenagers just loved us because we were introducing them. We introduced them to the Beatles. You would think they would know about it being so close, but they heard about it on AFN. But anyway, this little feature is uh, Steve talking about the show because there were questions about who we were and, and how it was produced. Uh-huh. See if, I, see if I can get this going. I have a little crude control room set up here. And... We're talking with Nolan Kenner, who is... Good morning, Jim. This morning I'd like to talk about two fellows I've been working with very closely for the last couple of months. These two characters, and that they are, can be heard on AFN each weekday at 1645. I'm speaking of none other than Thurman and the Captain. Now, this radio series has been on the air for almost three months, and during this period of time, I'm sure that their listeners have grown almost daily. And this goes for both children and adults. From our daily mail, it can be seen that their audience has a wide age range. For those new listeners who would like an inside look at these two AFNers, let me invite you to listen closely for the next few minutes. Let's all board that magic carpet called Imagination and travel to a far-off island somewhere between here and there. As we land on the island, a short distance away, we can see a small building. Let's walk up the sidewalk into this building. This is Thurman's workshop. As we scan the room, cluttered with various weird-looking electrical and mechanical gadgets, over in the corner we spot a squat sort of fella with a pair of metal rim spectacles which are resting on his pug nose. This is Thurman, the zany inventor. Good old Thurman has invented many, many things. Of course, none of them have ever received a patent number, and I doubt highly that any ever will. His inventions seem usually to work, so to speak, for only short periods of time. They operate just long enough to bait the unsuspecting captain into trying the gadget for himself, and then all breaks loose. Who is this captain, you ask? Oh, I'm sorry, I nearly forgot. He's the other occupant on this two-man island located somewhere in the world. The captain is a dirty old pirate, so rich that he has a heart of gold. His full name is Captain Dirty, Captain for short. He's the ranking man, in more ways than one, on the island. Captain Dirty drives a motorcycle and makes a daily visit to Thurman's workshop. He rides up in a cloud of dust and a hearty, hi, old Farley. Farley is the name the captain has affectionately bestowed on his gleaming mail-order motorcycle. Outside of being a zany inventor, Thurman is apparently a fascinating salesman. The captain continually refers to the swamp which the Thurman Development Corporation sold to him. However, even though Thurman continually traps the captain day after day, no love is lost between these two lovable gentlemen. Before I delve any deeper into the adventures of Thurman and the captain, let me give you a glimpse of the distinguishing characteristics to be found on these two characters. This will make it easier for you to identify them should you ever meet them on the streets of Miami during the winter season. This is, of course, providing these two whacked out men ever make it to Miami. The captain is a husky fellow who usually runs around in a plaid shirt, Bermuda shorts, and sneaker boots. This getup he usually refers to as his grubbies. Nothing like wearing grubbies, the captain always says. Thurman is a distinguished sort of fellow. He can usually be found with an open sports jacket, a wide bottom tie with a half Windsor knot usually resting over the second button of his wrinkled white shirt. Thurman is the educated one of the pair. And although the captain graduated from the Pirate Academy, Thurman is the brainchild. I should interject at this point that the old captain was last in his class, and instead of being awarded a parrot to place on his shoulders, as most good pirates receive, Captain Dirty was given the booby prize, a whacked-out penguin who thinks he is a parrot. Oh yes, this penguin also wears sneaker boots and delights at the thought of going surfboard riding. And so we have the happy family made up of Thurman and the captain. 
Well, it's time for me to head back to the drawing boards and the editing machines, and who knows what predicaments we can find for the old captain to get into in the coming shows. I hope this report has given you a broader insight into the fun and frolics to be found whenever we join Thurman and the Captain. This is Army PFC Steve Singer in Tempo. Tempo, incidentally, was the name of the uh, the morning program. It's wow. That, that was a little excerpt that he did. And are you sure? Sure. Go ahead. And then it, that was a great clip, and I was going to ask you about something I picked up in one of the articles. I'll ask after you finish your sentence. Okay. No, I was just going to say, are you really sure you want to hear a sample of this? Oh, yeah, I do. Um, I'd like you to pick the sample with Sally Rand referenced in it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know we, where that we, is. Yeah, we need to talk about, about that one. The, the Stars and Stripes like that one, I think. Yeah, well, I guess so. I found it in one of the articles you sent. Can we hear the clip? Okay. I, I'm going to play part of the program because I don't have a, a clip, but I'll uh, come back and we may fast forward through it. If you two get the flavor of it and you tell me okay. you need to stop. Okay. And here we go. Starting September 13th on AFN. Thurman and the Captain? It's Thurman and the Captain. Can I hear the Lone Ranger and Captain Star of Space? Hear the Lone Ranger and Captain Star of Space. Will we hear about the zany inventions of Thurman? You'll hear about the zany inventions of Thurman. And the misadventures of Captain Dirty? And the misadventures of Captain Dirty. I think I'd rather listen to Watch Cookie. That obviously was a promo that was on the first of the tape. I like that. <laughs> you an idea. That was and good. Who who played the little kid? Uh, the uh, friend named Ed Zeal, who was from Los Angeles, and he's a, a newsman and one of the funniest people you'd ever want to be around. And he does the open for the the show. There's the line in there when we first started. He does it in that voice and says, "Hey kids, it's time for Thurman and the Captain," and uh, does it with that kid-sounding voice, and I got a complaint from a, we got a complaint from a listener, a lady who, who did not like the word kids in, in referring to children, so you never know who, who's going to complain about what. You, you had a purist out there who thought, who insisted you were talking about goats and not children. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Is it okay to ask about the Sally Rand reference that generated a letter from a listener? You know, I, I don't remember, and I, I really would tell you if I did, but Davis would mention these things so quickly. Some of it I hear today that I hear, heard for the first time on the program. I didn't. I don't remember him saying those things, or he remembers things, or doesn't remember things I said. But uh, I, it was probably some way he worked it in the conversation. I, I, I don't know. It couldn't but, have been too uh, awful if you only got one letter about it. I know, yeah. And that, we only got one letter about calling them kids, too. Yeah. We, how, we how about got, fan got, mail? Did the, did the Captain and Thurman get fan mail? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, I guess, in fact, the um, one lady wrote a very touching letter about she had was an artist in France and was away from uh, her her friends and her relatives and everything, and she, she was working over there and very depressed and about ready to give up and go home. And part of the reason that she stayed is she discovered AFN, and she drew pictures of Thurman and the captain, her her conception of what they would look like, and, and sent that to us in his pencil drawings and uh, a letter of thanks, you know, for not only that program but the others that we had on the air. So you reach areas you don't think about. Yeah. This was not not a service person; it was a civilian. And uh, wow, did any of the kids write to the characters? 
No, uh, you know, I don't recall any kids other than the uh, birthdays. Now, we didn't always see the mail, <clears throat> and there was. Uh, I, I learned later that they did not want <laughs> want to know how big a deal you were if you were becoming <laughs> one. And and some of that stuff was held back, and uh, you know, for good reason. You might start wanting to be paid for doing all that stuff. Now I understand why you didn't realize this until much later. Why did the show end? Well, because I came back to the States, really. I think I mentioned earlier about my father being ill uh-huh. and, and had to go in for a serious operation, so I, I had to leave early. We, were, we had talked about doing a concluding uh, show, whether got back to Miami and things worked out, but um, that never, never happened. And it was odd. People were coming in saying, uh, yeah, you guys are kind of ripping uh, Gilligan's Island off here with your sermon and the captain. We had never seen Gilligan's Island. Had no idea what it was. You know, he came on the air while we were over there. Yeah. And we had no television, so we didn't know. And they, then after a while, they realized that we were doing this. But that's an old plot anyway. I mean, let's, let's face it, stranded what? on a desert island is not exactly new. And it, it is not. I mean, I think Robinson Crusoe got the dibs on that one. Sure. Uh, I, I suppose you could have accused Gilligan's Island of swiping an idea from you. Yeah, maybe so. That's a possibility. Let's talk for a couple of minutes or for more than a couple of minutes about what happened after you came back from Germany and your own radio stations. How did you get from Germany to station owner? Oh, good. I don't have to play the Thurman the Captain expert, right? <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> if uh, give me, which, which character were you? I was were Thurman. You, you were Thurman. What would Thurman sound like? Uh, his voice would be stretched out kind of like this, and uh, he's just a very nice guy. Just likes to make things happen to the captain a lot. You, you got to be the nice guy. Yeah, I'm sorry? You got to be the nice guy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was. Uh, uh, and the captain is, you know, big, gruff guy, and he's always getting. But it was kind of like Laurel and Hardy, you know. Laurel was always setting Hardy up. And, but let's uh, see if I can make this work and give you a little flavor of it. Oh, good. Okay. Hey, kids! It's time for Thurman and the Captain! Thurman, the zany inventor and the captain. The dirty old pirate so rich, he has a heart of gold. Today, you'll hear the conclusion to this week's Lone Ranger adventure. And the ingenious birthday detector will produce another list of birthdays being celebrated around Europe. So let's go join Thurman and the captain. Captain, why are you in such a big hurry to get everything out of the way like this? I don't understand it. Uh, normally, you come in, it's very leisurely. What's going on? Well, now, I got a lot of things got to accomplish. A lot of, uh, lot of work I got to do. You got all New that recipe lady comes stuff on. stuff out there. You got well, yeah, I got, my, I got my pot and my pan here is for making sauce right there. And uh, it's kind of important that we hurry up and get to her. Okay, well, uh, first we'll have the birthday check, then I'll get that right out of the way. If we're in such a big hurry. I am in a hurry. Okay, here we go. I'll just turn this dial. And this, this, of course, is where we'd have the staff announcer come in and, and announce the birthdays. Can you hear me okay? Sure, fine. I got I got, kind of got lost in the music there in my headset. Yeah, you're doing um, great. They would read the, the name, you know, Johnny Jones is uh, nine today, and uh, and it would take, a, first it took about 30 seconds to read them, then 60, then 90. 
So How many birthdays would you announce? Anybody that wrote a, a card in. How many would that be average on a day? Um, well, it depends on how you could. I don't know how you you could apply a formula to that, but it, it took 90 seconds to read it, and the only thing you said was, "Johnny Jones is 12, is 12 today." Da 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 da. You know, down like that. So it was a load. That's a lot of birthdays. What about me radio? Well, I'm still working on that. Uh, you know, it just... It's important. Very well, shortly, recipe lady cooking thing comes well, on. Well, this recipe lady is... Uh, comes, Big recipe lady. Comes about 30 years ago, <laughs> then uh, pro probably everything's all right. With this crazy radio, I don't know. Let me get uh, today's story machine going. While that's going, I'll be working on this thing. If that's okay with you, sir, if you're in such a big hurry. Well, I got to find out if uh, that there masked bandit ever run into that Chicago owl hoot. Okay, that, uh, we'll Cal Coupon or whatever uh, his name was. Let me just push this button that here. That Elliot Mess fella. Yes, I'm making a judgment here. Well, hurry. Here we hurry, go. boy. Kick along, lad. And just turn the style over here. Yes, there it comes right there. The summary of what happened yesterday's adventure of the Lone Ranger. Oh, yes, if uh, you remember yesterday, it seems that this fellow named uh, Nick Clark had been uh, captured by a couple of uh, Stan Jordan's buddies who were trying to prevent him from uh, taking uh, Jordan back to Chicago for trial, trial for murder. Well, the Lone Ranger and Tonto were in hot pursuit yesterday when we left the story machine, so let's see what happens today. I hope they round up this gang for sure and uh, save this Nick Clark who's been taken prisoner, too. Well, we'll find out. Lone Ranger! Horse with a speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty high silver. The Lone Ranger. Sounded the same over there as it does here, didn't it? It yes, it does. This sounds like a Bob and Ray for kids. Well, I never thought of it that way. I guess you're right. Yeah, it is kind of along those lines. Who wrote the script? Did you three work together on writing the script, or I mean, how did you put the show together? That one. We we just came up with the idea, and it was all ad lib. No <laughs> And what I learned in, in uh, working with another guy in Chattanooga on a two-man show is that when you want to say something, you raise your hand, like in, in, in school. Yeah. So if, uh, if Jim was delivering a line and I had something that I thought would follow that, I'd hold my hand up and he would, he would pause <laughs> at the end of the sentence. I would jump in and then he would do the same. And we got to where we could do it almost without looking at each other. And in many cases, it was better that we didn't look at each other because we'd crack up. That but, uh, is really wonderful to listen to. And truly, it does sound like a Bob and Ray routine where there are a couple of words that overlay each other and you're really having conversations and coming up with this stuff as you go. It's great stuff. How many? Well, how much you. material did you bring home with you? I uh, unfortunately only brought about four or five shows. I mean, this was one of them, and Steve's had some. Jim didn't have any. And uh, we had... Uh, We've had requests for them, and oddly enough, we became part of old-time radio. Uh, I have a letter from a, a, a member of an old-time radio club uh, in, in Washington. Mm -hmm. He had heard them and wanted to play a copy for the uh, one of their club meetings, and I, I sent one up there. But um, you never know when somebody was going to cry. And how he found me, I'll never know. I, after I hung up, I how did he know how to contact me? And I, my gosh, I, I, was it at Reps or one of the club meetings, huh? Yeah, yes, it was. I, wow. I have that 
somewhere, Walter, and I'll, you may know the name. I'll, I'll yeah, I probably do, but I, I was trying to remember. I think I, I think I should remember several years ago, people were asking me if I ever heard of the kids' show. And I said, no, but uh, like, somehow, you're just part of old-time radio, Nolan. What can I say? Well, you never know. You dig back <laughs> far enough, you might have done something. I had uh, the, uh, I was going to tell you about this particular show. We, we had this, we referred to the big cooking lady. Yeah. We had this, re- this recipe show on in the mornings. It was done in Verdun, France, at the affiliate there. And they would feed her show up in the overnight, and it would play the next morning. So uh-huh. we never met the lady. Did not know how she was going to react, but we did a total takeoff on her show. <laughs> and the captain is uh, going, to be, going to listen to a recipe that she's giving on the air. I'm just checking to see where we are in the tape. The, um, she's giving these recipes out, and we've edited them where... She would say two two teaspoons of sugar, and then be paused. Two teaspoons of sugar, and just mix up all the ingredients just terribly. And then, then the the uh, captain is getting all confused, and we we had no idea. And she liked it so much that she named a recipe for for us in a, in a future broadcast. Oh, that's fun! It really was, but that was the kind of freedom we had. You know, normally you'd go contact her and have somebody in. The front yeah. office asked the commanding officer there, and uh, we took some chances, I guess, but it, it was, no harm was intended. Was that a one-time reference, or was it part of a regular routine? It, it lasted about three routines, uh, three days. One day, he's talking about we had that radio <laughs> that I had would only pick up old programs. We got in ah. a plug for old radio shows, uh-huh. and I rebuilt this radio, and he wanted to tune in to the news in the states and everything and we it would only get Fibber McGee and Molly and Lone Ranger and things like that we had fun with that we had a filtered sound uh, so that it sounded like it was coming from a radio they they had some physical props there the door slamming and a huge uh, echo chamber that I had never seen anything like it it was it would stretch almost uh, oh to a good three or four yards Wow. In this big studio, and it had a spring in it, and it was strung from one end to the other, and there was a speaker on one end, a microphone on the other, and when you wanted echo, that's what you used, and it was a mechanical device, and that that was uh, fun to work with those props, you know, real sound effects. That, that was amazing. I was going to comment on the sound effects that we heard in the shows, and in the introduction, they really were very rich. Well, um they had everything in in, the, in that regard. It was um, there no no expenses were uh, spared in that in that area, and the equipment was awfully good too. It was excellent stuff. Wow! What's your most memorable experience with the captain and with Thurman? Uh, let's see. Probably the, um, the the popularity that the thing gained. That lady showed up from the Stars and Stripes, and we thought it was going to be some little feature article. And she took pictures and interviewed us, and then uh, the thing comes out, and it's the whole weekend insert. You know, the Stars and Stripes is all over all over Europe. Right. And, and I think that was that was one, one thing that came from it. And then 40 years later, having things come up about it, that um, I wish Jim was here to uh, enjoy. He passed away. Uh, about four years ago. Oh, I'm sorry. We, we got to be together in New York at the AFN convention, and that was the last time I would see him. Uh-huh. But his, his wife had died of pan, pancreatitis, 
Uh, am I saying that correctly? Yes, you did. I'm getting, a, I'm fading a little bit. You'll have to excuse me. Do you need, I'm not used to these all-nighters like you break? guys. Excuse me. Do you want to take a couple of minutes break? No, no, I'm, I'll be fine. I, but if I start uh, slurring my words too badly, I might want to take a, get a Coca-Cola or something sure. right here. Um, but um, anyway, he was, he was really smart, talented man, and they, he came up with these lines that just killed you. All right, here, here we go in the uh, in the recipe lady program. Hey, that's it. That's it. Now, wait a minute. i got to get some paper and a pencil. For what? Well, it's it. That's their old morning. What's cooking? Oh, I see you. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. You're going to cook something again? Quiet. Oh. Talking about ladies. Mariana? Good morning. Good morning, ladies. Have oh, you tried morning. any of them yet? I haven't tried any of the particular ones we've given yet, but I have tried some of them. I think they'd all be very good, though. I'm looking forward to trying more. Oh, and too, they sweetheart. certainly sound like something a person can use for a What's busy day. That well, one yesterday could be put in oh. at noon, right after lunch. But we're not going to have... Well, what are we having? What, what, what do you have for us this morning, Mariana? Well, well the uh, two seem to complement each other nicely. Oh, yes, we do. Rub with garlic. Yeah. And brown in two tablespoons of cooking oil. Honey, I ain't going to the beach. I want to do some cooking here. I want to make my fried gruel. <laughs> Captain, that has nothing to do with it. Now listen to what she's saying. Write these things down. All right. And make the following sauce. All right. Now there you're talking. That there's the... All of these ingredients go into a sauce. Mm -hmm. So do I. <laughs> Three tablespoons oil or less. You will see. You have to use it twice, so you'll have to see which way you... Need a lot, yeah. Three Earl. Three quarts Earl. Three fourths cup of pineapple juice. Oh yeah, now that, that that's good. That that's for yeah. One tablespoon tomato paste. Oh, I've pasted some tomatoes in my time. One fourth teaspoon salt. Well, old sea dogs like salt. One eighth to one fourth teaspoon fresh ground pepper. Uh, yeah, one eighth to one, one quarter. One fourth to uh, one half teaspoon of grated lemon rind. Oh yeah, remember right here on the beach. Two onions two, diced. Two. Oh yeah, and they come up box cars. Ah. <laughs> one eighth to one fourth teaspoon fresh ground pepper. Oh. What, was, what was that again, big cooking lady? Huh? One eighth to one fourth teaspoon fresh ground pepper. Oh. Let me see that make about a half a pound. Captain, that's a lot there. of pepper. No, one eighth to one fourth teaspoon fresh ground pepper. Somebody change your script for I don't know. One eighth to one fourth teaspoon fresh ground pepper. Oh, well, is that what it is? Yeah, yeah I got pepper, that red. Right how much you like pepper? I guess. Oh, I love pepper. Pepper Young's family. Old In a sauce Wait a minute, I get it. And all the seasonings Wait a minute. up Where's to the onions. All right, now nice. about five there. minutes before there go the oven, yeah. uncover, sprinkle walnuts over the top, and she then to uncover. Oh, wait a minute, I take my hat off. Oh. Two thirds cup hot orange juice. Oh, I can't. Oh, I, I'd rather cherry drink. And one oh. Cup of slivered oh, remember old slivered almonds? Used to be in those old movies. Yeah, play the guitar. Send all of this to what's cooking? Send all of that. Well, that's what happened. She is the only one in the round that's got an oven.
German and the Captain is produced in the Frankfurt studios of the American Forces Network. We'd always pull a little lift, lift something out of the show and put it right in there every day. And then David Letterman started doing that. Oh, God. That was great. I can understand why the adults wanted to listen to it. <laughs> well, I, I started picking up on some of Jim's remarks. Sauce is the word for uh, bourbon or gin sure? or whatever it might be. And um, what was the other one? Uh, oh, Pepper Young's Family. Pepper Young Family. That was good. And the kids so wouldn't know what that was, you know. Yeah. Good but references then, in there. Really good the stuff. An- the announcer on the uh, closing and the opening there was a man named Jim Bolton, and they didn't come any better. I mean, he... He was a super announcer, and he did all of our intros and closes. When you were OS Armed Forces, how often did you play the old-time radio shows? Was that something every night? Or was there a feature on, on a certain night of the week? How often would you play the Gunsmoke and all those different radio shows from the library? One a night, or one or two a night. Mm. You know, you might have uh, Suspense and uh, Gunsmoke back-to-back. And I remember Gunsmoke was on Sunday, and I, I can't remember uh, exactly when they were, but you'd love it. It was, it was like living in the uh, 40s. Wow. Hello, Carl. You're on with Nolan Kenner. Yes. Uh, well, then, this is Ray out of Chicago. Hello, Ray. Hi, Ray. Patricia, how are you? Good. It's good to hear from you. Yeah, I finally got my computer fixed up in Wisconsin, so I'm able to enjoy it. Nolan, I got to tell you, it's an absolute delight to hear these stories. I'm telling you, I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for calling. That's very nice. You made my night. <laughs> well, you made mine, and I had to call and tell you how much I'm enjoying this. You know, uh, this really brings it back, and, uh, you know, to hear your delightful way of telling these stories is just I can't tell you how exciting it is for me because I, I really love uh, the golden age of uh, radio. So I really appreciate it. And Walden and Patricia, I just wanted to say hello, let you know I'm out here listening. Good. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to listen as long as you guys uh, uh, go tonight. I really enjoy it. Well, good. You're going to be up for, you'll be up for breakfast then, right? That'd be good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good night now. Good night, Nolan. Good night, Patricia. Good night, Walden. Good night, Ray. Later. Bye bye. And there's Ray from Chicago. Ray from Chicago oh. has not been able to listen to us for a while, so it's good to have him back. And it's um, I'm just delighted that he's enjoying you, Nolan. I certainly am. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm enjoying it too. It's fun to reminisce, particularly with people that are knowledgeable. And, well, uh, ask people, such good people who are appreciative, I certainly appreciate it. This is great fun. You kept asking me, are you sure people want to know about this? Well, I certainly do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, the answer is yes, Nolan. They certainly do. Um, when when you finished up uh, broadcasting, uh, let me let me ask this a different way. When you came back, when your when your father was ill, and you came back a little earlier than you had planned. Did that mean you were not able to say goodbyes to a lot of people you had worked with over time? Um, yes, it did, in, in a way, but they kind of, uh, we had a, a few days' notice, so they got a party together, and we uh, did, did have a celebration and, and got to 
have that that one time together. But it would have been nicer to have the three weeks. Yeah. Um, to look back on it, but I I, I had so much good luck and and uh, great fortune to work there that I don't think about the negative part of that. It's, uh, it would have been nice, but the um, things just don't always work out that way. And it put me in a position too. I, I really think I have an angel that follows me around. I think they look after uh, trunks and broadcasters or something. <laughs> this this one has been with me for a long time, and, and to take these twists and turns in life, when I had I not come back that three weeks early, I wouldn't have hit Miami exactly right, where they needed a vacation replacement announcer, and uh, I walked right into the job, and I was like the guy that came made for uh, came for dinner. I stayed there for two years more. Two years. Uh huh. And uh, I guess there's a story there if you want me to continue. I sure do. I didn't know about that one. Uh, that was the 50,000-watt uh, dynamite station in, in Miami. It was the biggest one in the in that part of the state. Well, I guess the biggest, comparable to the biggest one in the state. But um, we, we had some adventures there in a very short time. The, uh, that's During that period, I met Sally, and uh, the also the, the period of time where we had uh, the hijacking and I was on the air at the time that it happened. And, uh, so you were in to... Miami when all of this happened? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. And Miami was, uh, that station was involved, I may have told this story on, on your station before, but the um, Bay, Bay of Pigs situation was going on, and the government had picked radio stations in the, in the uh, all around the country that were 50,000-watt clear-channel stations of which WGBS was one, and WSV in Atlanta, WWL in New Orleans, WLAC in Nashville, and the, uh, what, what's the one in, is it WLW in Cincinnati and WLS in Chicago, I guess. Correct, yep. Uh, all of those stations were broadcasting uh, propaganda and beamed at Cuba. I mean, when I say propaganda, I mean in the nice word, using it in the positive way. Mm-hmm. And giving them... Uh, News in Spanish and, and the real news, and the uh, they were kind of part of history when that was going on. And the other thing was that uh, they were involved in is during the Bay of Pigs invasion, the radio station I worked for broadcast coded messages to the uh, submarines off the coast of Florida through their subcarrier from the AM radio station. The station was directional. And they had special permission to not go directional at night to keep the signal strong so that the ships at sea could pick it up. And the uh, engineer and the general manager were, were the only people privileged, privileged to the information of what was going on. Then the sales department started getting calls <laughs> about uh, potential advertisers are hearing the station farther north than they ever did. And they were enjoying it and wanted to talk to a representative. They came in and asked uh, Ed Lockwood, who was a dear friend of mine, uh, later on, and uh, worked for me at, at one point. He, he had to say he didn't know. He didn't know what he was. He say it was atmospheric conditions that were causing that. And he said that they had to t- to turn that down, turn it off, because they had a, a telegram that gave them permission to do what they were doing. In fact, they were ordered to do it, and the permission ran out, and they switched back and shunted the signal going north and they immediately got another telegram and said please put it back we'll notify you when to uh, turn it off but can you imagine being involved in that 
I wasn't involved, but I, the, the session was really historical in, in a couple of, couple of areas. I, I'm really taken with this. I had no idea that this was part of the American routine in the 60s. Well, I, I, uh, probably a lot of this sort of thing went on, and you just you just don't know about it. They, yeah. But well, I, knew, Sally I, knew, Tyler, I knew a little bit about the broadcasts that were going down to Cuba. It was it was like the Cuban version of um, Radio Free Europe. Right. Would that be about right? That's exactly right. Yeah, that's the way uh, I thought of it. I, I I didn't describe it that way this time, but that's that's very good description. So you were part of the station in Miami at the time, and you uh, used... not not the Bay of Pigs time, but the, uh, the the time with the hijacking. Well, uh, I'm, I was just going to get to that, and you said you used the word hijacking, and uh, I want you to talk about that. Okay, uh, I may have a clip. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Which makes me eligible for a sip of water here. Sure. I'm loving this, but uh, in my advanced age, I uh, don't stay up as late as I used to. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if uh, you all will entertain yourselves, I will find a clip. Okay. Can, we can entertain ourselves. We are talking tonight with Nolan Kenner, who has, as you have probably figured out already, a remarkable background in broadcasting. And uh, we're not up to today yet in his broadcast history. Nolan is also the voice of the introduction to Yesterday USA when Bill Bragg and Mike Handy do the live show during the week, Monday through Thursday. Uh, Nolan has already uh, or also done some drops, some lines that are broadcast periodically to identify the station. So if you are listening to... Nolan and his voice sounds familiar to you. That's why, because you can hear him during the week. Nolan also uh, on two separate occasions uh, when he had been able to fit in his schedule, has been a disc jockey on his station too. Uh, Flashback expresses his show, and Patricia, people can still find those on iTunes. How can they do that? They can so find it on iTunes for people who have iTunes and you want to get podcast. Uh, of the um, the podcast broadcast opportunity is on iTunes. If you simply put in the search word flashback, it will come up with Flashback Express, Yesterday USA, and Nolan Kenner's name. You can hit subscribe to it, and a whole bunch of Flashback Express programs will come down, and you can hear Nolan as a DJ on Yesterday USA. It's pretty cool. Did you know you were up there, Nolan? Uh, you told me about that the other day, and someone else had mentioned it. Uh, but keep those cards and letters and checks coming in. <laughs> well, I could do two out of three. <laughs> okay, let's see if uh, if I manage to do this correctly. This is uh, the day of the big event, and I'll come back later and we'll add to it. Hang with me. Sure. Do you want to tell people why this is important now, or you want to wait the until... The FAA manager in Miami tells Information Radio... They tracked the aircraft by radar uh, southbound and became obvious that we had a hijacking. And they alerted Havana Control, Havana Air Traffic Control people, that we had a DC-8 apparently inbound to Havana. 
They said they would watch out for the flight and gave us an arrival time at Havana at 12.36. Neither the FAA nor National has any further information on the hijacking, but they figure on the basis of past performances, the plane probably will be released soon and allowed to leave Havana for Miami. A rescue effort underway in the Gulf of Mexico. That story... A National Airlines plane has been hijacked. It was on a flight from Tampa to Miami, Florida. The plane was flown to Havana, Cuba. Bob Mattel, an official of National Airlines here in New York, gives us the airline's version of the hijacking. DC-8 aircraft, it was flight number 28, that originated in San Francisco, uh, went Las Vegas, Houston, New Orleans, Tampa, Miami. Uh, 59 people on board, 46 passengers, a crew of seven, plus six non-revenue passengers. Um, lost radar contact at about 12.18. It was due in Miami at, uh, shortly afternoon at 12.06, and at the last report, it was heading toward Cuba. Bob Mattel, an official of National Airlines in New York. The plane is expected to head back for Miami shortly. According to the U.S. Coast Guard, a big floating oil rig... The, uh, proceeded southbound, uh, over Fort Myers and kept on going south. The controllers called the aircraft and got no response. And repeated calls uh, produced no response from the pilot. The aircraft proceeded on uh, towards Key West and over Key West towards Cuba. Paul Boatman of the FAA in Miami. The National Airline reported down safely in Havana shortly after noon. Late word from Havana says the plane is being refueled for a return flight to the United States. A heavy turnout reported in some towns in... Another airliner has been hijacked and flown to Cuba. A National Airlines jetliner with 59 persons aboard was hijacked shortly after leaving Tampa, Florida. The flight originated in San Francisco and the plane was bound for Miami. It's reported to have landed at the Havana airport. Mrs. Sally Kenner is a stewardess aboard that National Airlines plane. Her husband, Nolan Kenner, is a disc jockey with information radio affiliate WGBS in Miami. We asked Kenner what he's doing now. I'm on the air. I'm continuing the record show and I'll stay on. I'd rather be doing this than just sitting around. Of course, I'm better informed than most because I have the newsmen running in every second with any information they get. So I'd rather be here than anywhere else. Nolan Kenner of WGBS in Miami. His wife is a stewardess on that National Airlines plane hijacked and flown to Cuba. President Johnson today presented the Medal of This is Don Allen in Los Angeles, and at this hour, Cuban officials say that National Airlines plane hijacked over Florida today has been refueled in Havana for the flight home to Miami. There were 59 persons aboard the Miami-bound jetliner when it changed course and headed for Havana. No further word on who hijacked it or why, but Havana Radio says the jet is expected to depart soon. Authorities expected to return to Miami this afternoon. In Washington, the House has now added a page. Well, there are a few clips. Scary time for you. Scary, yeah, yeah, very, very scary time. And, uh, uh, you stayed on the air while this was going on, and I understand why. It sounds like a wise choice, and by comparison to the alternatives, tell me what was going on in your head, and what was going on in Sally's head, and what your personal circumstances were. When had you been married? Well, we were married two two weeks prior to this, and we took the same flight on our honeymoon from San Francisco, oddly enough. And uh, I was um, really confused and scared and, and uh, in awe of all the stuff that was going on. I'm, I'm there. Uh, I was in the, the uh, lunchroom when the word came that the plane had been hijacked, 
And one of the uh, news guys walked by the door and he said, hey, I bet Sally was on that flight. And uh, laughed and I laughed and as soon as he got out of the side. safely and so I was not going to mention anything about it I was just going to go on the air and, and be a, you know happy time drive time afternoon DJ and then later on when everything calmed down the uh, it, word would be released well I was not the only one calling crew scheduling some of the uh, industrious news guys called out there and found out that I that Sally was on the plane and so the lead story, I go, I finish lunch, I go in the, the, the morning guy, and, and uh, I'm getting my music together, and, and uh, the lead story is a WGBS personality, Nolan Kenner's wife, is a stewardess among them. So there goes me not saying anything. So he's put me in that position. To get, what what do I say now? Yeah. And uh, so I just chose to say after the newscast was over that uh, much what I said on that piece that the network used, that I'd rather be here than anywhere because I'm better informed. And um, we'll just ride this out together, you know. And so uh, and a nice thing happened. A man stopped the car and went to a phone booth and called to, you know, express his concern. He and called the is, station uh, and did that. This, this is before cell phones. You know, the guy stopped the car and paid a quarter to call me. Wow. I'm just amazed. Nolan, how long from the time you found out that Sally was on the plane to her disembarking in Miami? How long in between? It must have been uh, about six hours. The problem they had was fuel. They were on the last leg of this trip from San Francisco, and they uh, were low on fuel, and that extra 90 miles down to Cuba is that much more fuel, and they couldn't get back. It was point of no return. So they were trying to get refueled, which became... Uh, <laughs> Almost an incident. They, the pilot even tried to use his, uh, the captain tried to use his credit card, anything. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they, they wanted cash, and they wired some through Mexico and hit the siesta time. That delayed it an hour and a half or more. And oh, they finally got it and, and got them home. But it was in the evening uh, when, when she got home. And I may have included a picture or two in the articles I sent you. Yeah, you did. I meant to. Um, but... Uh, our promotional director just absolutely loved the whole event because nobody was hurt. And what was the story? I, I had, been, had worn my station blazer that day that had the call yeah. letters on the, on the what, pocket. What was the story behind the hijacking? Who did the hijacking? I mean, what, what was the story on the plane? There were two guys that were taking a person back that didn't want to go. And I don't know what he had done, but they, they got him uh, and were going to take him back for trial or hang him or shoot him or something, but that, that's, uh, that's all we knew. It was some deal like that. It wasn't for ransom or, or anything like it became later. Mm. I wouldn't want to go either. No, <laughs> not if I wasn't invited. My gosh. Okay, so that that was your first, boy, that was a humdinger of a re-entry from Germany. Wow. What happened after your two years in Miami? Well, one, one day the uh, program director called a meeting and said, we're going through, we've had some consultants working with us, and we're going to change the format to a uh, 
I guess the equivalent in, in, in 1968 of what would have been hard rock. And we're looking at each other, and I, you know, I'm in my early 20s, and I, I don't know anything about this format. I'm a young person that would probably be listening to it if I didn't really prefer easy listening music and still like the, the uh, 50s doo-wop and that sort of thing. And uh, I looked at one of the other guys with this blank look on our faces. We can't do this. There's no way we're going to be believable as uh, rock disc jockeys. And so the handwriting was on the wall that they were going to let us find a, another place to work, <laughs> so to speak. And uh, it was very nice with severance pay, and I was given enough time. Well, in the meantime, uh, uh, of course, Sally and I are married, and here I am two, two or three weeks into marriage, and I'm being fired. <laughs> so that's that's a good way to start a marriage. But we decided between the two of us, we, we certainly could get jobs and so we just moved up to the land, oddly enough. But that was where my parents moved when I was in the Army, and that's where Sally was born. And I uh, was very lucky and got a job at a TV station in Orlando, which is, uh, you probably know, Pat, is about 45 minutes mm-hmm. from, from Daytona or Central Florida. And that wasn't a bad commute, and I, I did that. What was bad was the, uh, I thought it was great when I first got the job as a booth announcer. You know what a booth announcer does? I don't. That's the guy that you heard on the station breaks for the, the network shows. Okay. And, and in those days, there was a lot more live copy. In fact, it was all live, practically all of it was live. But um, I, th- I thought, this is the greatest job I've, I've had in radio or TV. I've I been chasing my tail, timing out records and making things fall into place and, and uh, coming up with ideas all the time. And all I've got to do is stand here, sit here and say Channel 6. <laughs> and... <laughs> So this is super. In about three weeks, I was out of my mind, out of my gourd, bored to death. Uh, you know, seriously, you would sit there, and the director would come on your headset and say, announce Channel 6. It's 7 o'clock. Okay, I'll be in the break room if anybody needs me, you know. That that gets old. That, that has about a, that'll cure your uh, creative juices in no time at all. And so I kept uh, an eye out, and the... Some friends told me that were merchants in, in Deland that the radio station owner lived in Orlando, and the local managers are stealing him to death. They're, they're taking the man's money. Well, they weren't doing it directly, but they were exchanging advertising for services like restaurants, liquor stores, that sort of thing that never went on the books. Whoa! But the, they they would take in lieu of cash, they would take product. So I took that information to to heart and. Uh, found out this man's name, <laughs> went to see him, and, and uh, Bowley said, I understand you might be looking for a new manager for your station in Deland. He said, well, I don't know how you know that, but in fact we are. He said, what kind of experiences have you had? I said, well, I've been in radio all my life, all my adult life, uh, well, as a teenager, right on through. And I, I uh, have never managed a station, but I've worked in every area of it, and uh I have a top secret clearance from the when I when I was in the army, and I can assure you I'm honest, and uh, I think I can make money for both of us. And uh, he said, "Well, let me think about that." In the meantime, his dad came in. He was really this gruff, imposing figure, and he took the, my reference letters. He said, "Well, if we wanted to need you, he would probably call on you, but I don't think you got much management potential." And I said, "Well, I I think I do, and I, I think I know the business well enough that I can." keep a staff together and have a good sound at the station and so forth. So 
we'll call you. And when the sun went out, and he called me and said, we need to get somebody in there right away. He had bought the thing on on the steps of the courthouse in bankruptcy. I'd never heard of a radio station being sold by, um, that way. And so I uh, took the ball and ran with it, and, and we, I had very good luck. That good friend, Ed Lockwood, that we talked about earlier with the uh, chief engineer of the 50-kilowatt station, and retired. Mm-hmm. And guess where he came to retire? Orange City, which was eight miles outside of the land. And I had this radio station in terrible shape. And I called him, you know, electronically, physically, that sort of thing. And I called him and, and said, um, Ed, I've got this station up here, and I'm going to try to turn it around, but I've got a lot of technical problems, and I don't have much of a budget. But uh, I know you 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 won't like to travel, and I can get you, again, a trade. Now, this is on, on the books. It's above board, but a trade at a local filling station. I can get you X number of gallons of gasoline a week and occasionally other benefits if you would just come and tell us what to do, what we need to do with this radio station. Well, he came and he told us, and then he turned right around and did it. <laughs> he was like an old fire horse. He got in there and just <laughs> was loving it, just tuning it up, making it sound good. And uh, remember that angel I told you about? I was just going to ask about that, Nolan. There's your angel again. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so we, we turned it around and got it profitable. And that's when... He came, the owner came to me one day on the phone, maybe, and said, we've decided to sell the station, and you probably can get a job with a new owner, but we're, uh, so what, in essence, what had happened, I turned around and made it valuable, now he's going to sell it, but, um, so the new owners came in, and the guy was about two years older than me, he had a, four teenagers, children that had worked in the radio station in, in uh, Illinois, where they came from, and even the wife and worked in the, as the uh, secretary and traffic director. And I could see the uh, handwriting on the wall. They weren't going to need me much longer. They had a built-in staff with their family. And I put a ad in Broadcasting Magazine, which is a trade publication, obviously for the broadcasting industry. And uh, it was $15, I think. And I specified, I think it said something like, uh, knows FCC, wants uh, East Coast, uh, uh, 20 years experience or something like that. It generated several letters, and one was from the owner of the stations in Somerset. And there is the rest of the story. Well, we need to know what the rest of the story is. You you wound up owning a set of five radio stations. Yes, I, I did. And that, that sounds so pretentious to say that, but it uh, what happened was I hit the, the period where during the Reagan administration... They started um, deregulation, which I cannot help but believe that Reagan's radio background had a lot to do with this. In those days prior to that, we were told how many commercials we could air in a minute, uh, in an hour, rather, how many minutes we could air in an hour. Uh We were told uh, we had to have special tests on our equipment once a month, have uh, some agency... uh, check to see if we were on frequency in, in our equipment with unreasonable requests made in the middle of the night. These tests had to be made. Endless things like that. And I went on these lobbying trips to Washington with the Kentucky Broadcasters Association, and we complained every year about we we're tied down by these regulations. And after all, it's a business. And if we run too many commercials, we're going to run the listeners off. It will result in these advertising being canceled. 
and we won't be in business anymore. And finally, somebody, when his administration came along, we, we got through the door, and um, the, the thing that they did also, which may or may not have been the right thing to do, they increased the bandwidth on FM and made more FM frequencies available. And a lot of people got into the broadcasting business and didn't know what they were doing and, and got burned really badly. So they were told by well-meaning attorneys and go to, say, a doctor or a dentist and say, this is an investment you ought to get into. You just play records and spend it, send out bills. You know, it's, it's a license <laughs> to steal. And they were just going up, belly up, all over the country. So then they very wisely said, why don't we let these guys have more than two radio stations a market? You can only have an AM and an FM in a given market. And they said, the ones that have had success with this can continue to have success, and they, we, we can put some more people to work if we put these stations back on the air or save them from bankruptcy. And uh, so that was kind of the, the period that the Angel Alliance went through and uh, bought our competition out that uh, had only been there about three, three to five years. But when they said you can own as many as you want, as many as is practical in any given market, and I, I started... Uh, we, we increased the pressure, and uh, we'd always remain number one, and we, we were tops in sales in the, in the area, and they were struggling, and it, it was the right time to make an, an offer. And so we ended up buying out three of our competitive stations and ran them all from one building. Uh, and then we had, uh, you know, towers out and around the county. They were all in the same county, but in different towns, uh -huh. two different towns. And... Uh, the uh, it, it was working very well. I, I remember standing in one, one end of the hallway and looked down and saw the, the control rooms for five radio stations in one building. And uh, then I also looked in there and I realized that I don't think I could work anything in that room. It was all computers. And I, I'm a hands-on kind of guy. You know, if, the, if there's a weather bulletin that needs to get on, I would do it. I wouldn't know which button to push. I'd let the thing get away from me. The times were getting away from me and I was getting yeah. older. And... Uh, Break in with the question. If you have it, I'm, I'm rambling. No, that's it. You're answering everything I would have asked. Well, the the, uh, the really telling thing was one day we had this big promotion that we were going to that was the uh, Rural Electric Foundation's uh, huge picnic that they had every year. And they had remote scheduled on our stations. They had special events. And it required quite a staff going out there to uh, put this on. And I'm the car in the rear and it's the lead car is the mobile unit and I started looking and I said there's the mobile unit that's one the news has two there's the, the one we use for remotes is three mine's four and then there's a truck that's five I own five cars <laughs> <laughs> and I the, the, you know it, it just came to me like that I never owned five cars before that's and, funny uh, never mind five radio stations but uh we didn't own them. I borrowed some money, and the bank and I owned them for a while. Then the uh, about, gosh, I, I don't know, four or five years later, the Clear Channel people came along. And I, I, my stations were not listed for sale, but the broker contacted me. He was a second-generation broadcaster, a good, good guy, and his dad was in the business. And uh, he said, do you mind if I show your stations? And, and uh, you know, Clear Channel is looking to buy them, small and mid-market size radio stations and I said well everything I got except Sally and Gizmo the dog are for sale <laughs> if the price is right but I got to keep my dog and my wife and uh, he said okay and I kind of shook it off at that and 
called back the next day and said, they made an offer on the phone. And I said, well, sell them the phone. <laughs> he said, this is probably the biggest deal in your life, and you're not, you can't let a straight line pass, can you? I said, no, I, I really can't, but what do you got? And uh, so they made this G-Wiz offer, and uh, it came at exactly the right time because it wasn't, uh, that was in uh, 2001, because I remember I asked them to hold the deal over until the 2001 for tax reasons. And the, uh, I think in three years later, I was diagnosed with Parkinson's. And uh, so it would have been a time for me to retire anyway. I probably would have been forced to, although I, I have a wonderful doctor in, in Jacksonville, Mayo's, that keeps me balanced pretty well with the medication that I take. Mm -hmm. And uh, Angel and I go up there once a year. You wanted to talk about that for a little bit, um, yeah. you know, about about the, the progress that you've made and the diagnosis and talking with other people who might be facing the challenge. Sure. Um, well, if um, if you are facing it, a loved one or yourself, a friend, it is uh, doable, controllable. And it's not, I, I told, I was diagnosed in Atlanta to a, by a specialist down there that we had gone to. He came out uh, after looking at some paperwork that had come in, and he'd, he'd done some tests, and he said, uh, Mr. Gunner, you, you have Parkinson's disease. It's, it's incurable. He said, it won't shorten your life. It'll just affect your lifestyle. There may be some cure for it someday, but there's not now. But um, I have the, uh, some information here on doctors at Mayo's Clinic in Jacksonville that you may want to go down there. And I said, well, thank you very much, and I appreciate your time. And I went out to the... Sally met me at the car, and we're driving home, and I said, that doctor had the bedside manner of a wombat. I've never heard anything like that. He came out and told me I had this incurable disease. He thought he was giving me the news out of the, the sports page or something. And uh, then I started thinking about it a little later. I said, you know what? That's exactly what he should have done, because if he had come out there and, and given me this pity party, I would have taken that attitude and just gone with it, you know, and been depressed and and uh, but with him it was it was business and this is uh, what you got to do and keep moving and uh, I think that really affected my attitude I think the guy should be uh, applauded for doing it that way rather than doom and gloom and uh, so and I also had about with cancer in, in between back there somewhere uh, and that was prostate cancer and I'll tell any men that are listening that if you were faced with this or a relative or friend, it is very doable. And the uh, thing that most men uh, dread is nerve damage. And I'm here to say that there, I had very little, if any, nerve damage. The uh, cancer was encapsulated, which means it was inside the prostate. When they removed the prostate, they got it all. And I'm, I'm cancer-free. So uh, those, those are my two commercials for doing this tele telethon with you guys to get the word out on on those two things, that there's help out there and it's not uh, a death sentence or worse. Nolan, I really appreciate that you talked about that. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not something that people are frequently comfortable talking about, and it's information that everybody can put their arms around. So I, I really appreciate your doing that. Well, I'm glad you feel that way. I, uh, just 
you can get you down, you know, you can really, really feel hopeless. But I'm here to say there's uh, help out there. Yeah. Now, you're on medication for Parkinson's, is that correct? That's right. A uh, very rigid schedule, which uh, uh -huh. my, my son Warren comes up once a month and arranges the uh, medication in these little pill boxes. Mm -hmm. has the time and day on it, and I, I stay on that. And as long as I do, I'm fine. Uh, yeah. But you're faithful. You, you don't tend to skip and figure, well, if one is good, two must be better, so I'll take two and forget tonight. You're, yeah, no, you're I, I can't. I'm sorry. I, I don't think I'm, if I heard you correctly, I can't get away with varying it. No, I, I know, but you're not one who tries. There are people oh, I see. Who, oh, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, there are people who think they know better. Oh, right. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. So the, the old routine is, well, if one pill is good, then two must be better. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that and kind of routine. I feel get a little buzz off of it, too. I'll oh, indeed. Um, tell me, you've, you're married to Sally. You've got two kids. Who are your kids? And tell me about the grandchildren. The uh, grandchildren are brand new. They're just uh, out of the one-year warranty. <laughs> They're doing fine. Oh, they have coals right now. They're twin boys. Okay. And they live over in Orlando. And uh, Brady is a retired school teacher, retired to have the babies. And Warren has been with uh, AT&T for about 15 or 16 years. And uh, my daughter is a flight attendant, oddly enough. And she flies out of Cincinnati, lives uh -huh. over in Kentucky on the Kentucky side, and uh, has a, a boyfriend that she's very much in love with him. We, we like him, but there's no marriage plans in the future, near future. Well, two, two out of three is good. Yeah. Hello, Carl. You are on the air with Noam Kenneth. Uh, hi, Walden. It's uh, number four here, Ralph. Ralph, how you doing, Ralph? Ralph? How are you? Uh, hello, Patricia. How you guys doing? Good. Well, fine. This is Ralph from California. Ralph, please meet Nolan Kenner. Hi, Ralph. Hi, how are you, sir? Are you the guy that owns all those supermarkets out there? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's uh, one of my sidelines. Wow. <laughs> no, not at all. Do you have a question for Nolan? No, I just called up to say hello to you folks. It, it seems to have become part of my ritual on Saturday <laughs> You are so good. Ralph, in a little bit we're going to be playing trivia, and I would be terribly disappointed if you didn't call. Well, I may very well. Okay. I've been listening to your guests. It was a very interesting conversation. Yeah, he's a good guy. We're going to keep him. Good for you. <laughs> okay. Hey, um, talk to you later. All right, Ralph. Hey, trivia later. We'll be here. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Keep selling that produce. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> um, Ralph is one of our um, very regular people and one of our... Um, listeners in New York, Lucy in New York, started a fan club for us a couple of weeks ago, and that was the reference that Ralph made to number four. He's got card number four in the fan club, oh. <laughs> which Very I good. think is great fun. Guess who has number two? Uh, you, maybe. Walden. <laughs> Walden oh, Walden. A, I just get such a kick out of this, Nolan. Walden is a member of his own fan club. Well. Why not? At least one person show up at every meeting. You know, I, I thought maybe his mom would get number two, <laughs> but Walden got it. I have two things that I want to do. I want to talk to you 
about Christmas as a kid and maybe some traditions that you and Sally have. And also, I just want to run through a couple of names. You have met an enormous number of people with what I will call brand names, names people would recognize. So which would you like to do first, Christmas or a couple of people? Um, let's do the people first. Let's do the people first. Okay, I'm going to throw a dart here because I've got quite a list. Fred Foy. This can be, by the way, an anecdote, personal opinion, first meeting, just a couple of sentences. Uh, extremely talented, nice man, uh, very uh, down-to-earth, good guy. And most people do not recognize his name. They would recognize his voice. What does Absolutely. he do? Absolutely. I have please, uh, been with him. Please tell people who Fred Foy is. You know, the announcer narrator for The Lone Ranger. You bet. Among other things. But I've been with him when somebody's actually walked up to him and asked him to do the open in, in a uh, restaurant. Uh-huh. And uh, he does it very quietly, but he does it for him. He never disappoints a fan. He never says no. I was, I was impressed. We've got and a, he uh, sounds wonderful. Can you tell, oh, yeah. Can yeah you, still does. Can you tell the story how you got him to come down uh, to a broadcaster's uh, event? What, what's it in Kentucky? It was, yeah. I may have a clip. Good. <laughs> You're getting tired of my clips? No, no. I'm just, I'm amazed that you can, I ask a question or Walden asks a question and we're right on target. This is not rehearsed. Please tell people this is not rehearsed. In fact, I didn't even get the rundown because my crazy computer will not print anything but color. Still, even though I sent you two different copies and oh my goodness and the email um, i appreciate your trying but i've got gosh, to I'm, I'm really sorry and you don't have a fax i couldn't have faxed one to you either or could i uh no i did not have a fax and I, okay i feel better i don't think we could have, <laughs> i never thought to offer but the way you're leading me along here i couldn't have done much better with this rundown <laughs> well i didn't deviate except for um the extra question that i sneaked in this uh, will answer the question. It was an appearance on a local radio show in, in uh, Lexington uh-huh. with the number one morning man named Jack Patty, who I have the honor of saying I gave him his first job here in Florida at the little station in DeLand. And he's the top man in the, in the city now up there. And he invited us to come by, and this kind of tells the story. If I can rack it up here and get it rolling. It kind of tells the story of what uh, Walden was asking about. Three, two, one. <laughs> Here we go. We're almost there. We're going to be hearing the voice of Fred Foy. I'd like to first introduce you to the first of my two special guests this morning. He is uh, Nolan Kenner, uh, president, owner, general manager, and head bottle washer at uh, all of the WSFC, WSEK in Somerset, Kentucky. 
And good morning, Owen. Good morning, Jack. You've also been a guest on this show before. I have. As a matter of fact, we set up a network once, I remember. That's right. It was uh, all of three stations. That's a free station network and had a good time. We're going to have to do that again one of these days. I think so. Uh, you have, have brought along with you this morning a gentleman I have admired for many, many years. If you would, Nolan, set us up in terms of, of how he came to be with us this morning. Well, we have a very good friend, a mutual friend, Jack, a man named Walter May over in Pikeville. Walter's the mayor of that city and a fine broad broadcaster. Mm -hmm. And I read an article in the uh, Courier when they were doing the cities around the state, the articles on the counties. And, and the first thing they talked about in this article on Pikeville or Pike County was Mayor May. And in the lead paragraph, it said a young Walter May was sitting in the kitchen listening to the radio with his mother, and the Lone Ranger was on. And at the uh, end of the program, he said, that's what I want to be. And she said, the Lone Ranger? And he said, no, the man who tells about the Lone Ranger. So... Of course, he was talking about uh, Fred Foy, the announcer on the program for years. Right. And it occurred to me, what a neat deal if we could surprise Walter and have this man come to the, our convention of the Kentucky Broadcasters last night. And we had a heck of a time with security and getting Fred in without him being introduced. We right. had a code name for him. It was all very, very secret. He was sitting on the dais and uh, without an introduction, one of those things where he said, this is our special guest. He'll be introduced later. And Walter had no idea. No idea. Right. He's in the audience. So we got up and we played. We, we uh, had the... Uh, newspaper article autographed and framed, and we played an excerpt of uh, Fred doing the show, and he thought that was going to be it. Well, then we said, if you like that, you're going to love this. And we rolled the William Tell Overture, and live, Mr. Foy did that open and, and got a standing ovation before he could get through it. The crowd went wild. Everybody was on their feet cheering. He had to stop and, and wait for them to settle down to finish it. And uh, I believe if we prevail on him, we might get him to recreate that moment if you've got oh, wow. the appropriate. Good morning and welcome. Good morning, Jack. Pleasure to be here. It is a delight to have you here, sir. Well, thank you very much. You've been a, you, you're a, a real pioneer and a legend. There, you know, that's a term that's used awfully loosely these days, but it certainly fits in your case. We're just very, very pleased to have you with us this morning. Well, I'm very happy to be here. Will you recreate that moment for us? Of course. Let's do that. horse with a speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty high silver the Lone Ranger. With his faithful Indian companion Tonto, the daring and resourceful mask rider of the plains led the fight for law and order in the early western United States. Nowhere in the pages of history can one find a greater champion of justice. Return with us now to those thrilling days of yesteryear. From out of the past come the thundering hoofbeats of the great horse, Silver. The Lone Ranger rides again. Easy, steady, big fellow. Are you Silver? I tell you, I got cold chills. How about that? Wow. <laughs> Jack, fantastic. Fred will be too, too uh, modest to interject this, but I want to. This man is the voice on the trailer for the re-released version of Gone with the Wind. He was on the trailer for Dr. Zhivago. Wow. Motion picture. You Tell talk. people what a trailer is. They're thinking oh, of, of a car yeah, that's pulling something down the road. <laughs> that's, 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 <laughs> so what? The guy rode in a trailer and saw Gone with the Wind. <laughs> Actually, it's the preview you see at the right. theater or on television. And uh, he was the announcer on the Dick Cavett show for a number of years. Uh, you remember the Dick Cavett show of in course. on ABC? Of course. I wanted to interject that. I'm glad you said that. Tell us how it all started. Oh, my gosh. It all started, I guess, with a, with a young uh, fellow who, who wanted to be an actor. And uh, after graduating from 
high school, made the rounds in Detroit, my hometown. Of course, with no experience, no one was interested. And uh, I started running elevators at Kern's department store and then found out uh, a little 250-watt uh, station, WMBC in Detroit, had a little uh, uh, acting company, and they would audition folks, and if uh, they felt you had some ability, they would accept you uh, for uh, training. No, no money involved. So then I was running elevators, would go down there twice a week and work on the shows. Finally, I was offered a, a part-time announcing job on Sunday afternoons, which I grabbed, and then, lo and behold, one of their staff left, and I was offered a job. And they said, would you like to become one of our staff? And I said, wonderful. So for the glorious sum of 25 bucks a week, I left uh, running elevators for 14.95, And that's how it all started. <laughs> wow, and came right up in the world. Now, how long were you there? I was at uh, WMBC until about 1941 when I auditioned and moved over to WXYZ staff. Which is a much larger oh, yes, station, obviously. Right. And uh, that's where the Ranger originated, the Green Hornet, Sergeant Preston, out of WXYZ in Detroit. I didn't realize that. Oh, yes. Wow. So then the war arrived, and I was off and gone for a while, and returned to staff after that. And uh, in about 1948, they decided uh, to change the announcer-narrator. Harry Golder was on the show. I, to this day, I really don't know why, unless it was some personal conflict. Mm -hmm. And uh, they auditioned... A, a bevy of people, and I was the lucky number to be pulled out of the hat, and I started uh, doing the show uh, in 1948. Until when? Until it finally wound up uh, as a radio show, and my voice is on the, uh, of course, on the uh, television show. Right. And w but what year did it go off radio? Around 1954, I believe. Right. And, and made that transition right from radio to television. Is that is that correct? No, the show was on while when the TV series. It began. was. Oh yeah. At the same time. Right, but it wow. was at that time they had stopped live production, so these were recorded mm -hmm. shows on the network. Mm -hmm. How many years did you do the show live? Oh, let's see. I would say close eight to ten years, and it was every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday live, all year year round, no summer hiatus. See, this is something that most of us can't relate to. Uh, live radio or television, uh, and it, it, the, the pressure that has to be involved where you can't go back and do it That's again right. has to be unbelievable. You know, it, I, I suppose uh, in the beginning when I first started with the show, you, I was under that kind of attention, but after you do it a while, there were, you never think about it. I, I have to be honest. You always knew that you had the support of the actors and whatever, and if somebody, if something really happened, Someone would step in and keep it moving one way or because you had to, no matter no matter what, it had to go on. Obviously, you made that transition into television uh, by virtue of the fact that you were working with with Dick Cavett and so on. How, how the the story, if you will, surrounding how that came to be? Well, what happened after the uh, after the uh, show and and uh, the Green Hornet, Sergeant Preston, all of the radio dramas died in Detroit. Uh, I picked up my bags and went into New York, and luckily. Uh, joined the staff of ABC after a period of time. and uh, Radio or television? Th at this point, we did every, not TV, no, okay. but we worked on, we, the general staff did news on uh, local, news on the network, uh, remotes. Uh, we, we covered all, <laughs> all areas. And eventually, we worked, uh, as far as TV, we worked in the booth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Dick Cavett arrived, and they auditioned, and... I must say this, that I really believe that my my uh, 
long run with the Lone Ranger had something to do with uh, with my edging in on the audition because when I remember when I was auditioning and Dick was in the control room and uh, they had copy openings to read and so on mm. and Dick uh, kicked on the talk back and said Fred would you for me would you do the opening <laughs> right so I did and I have a feeling he was I know he was a big Lone Ranger fan and that may have tipped the scale it certainly that. didn't hurt did it <laughs> no how long was that show on the air uh, about seven years. That was put on the air. Was that put on the air to compete with The Tonight Show? No, not at all. No? We started out in the morning. It was okay. on as a morning show. Then then it went, uh, I think in about six or seven months, it went into the late night spot. Right. When Joey Bishop left, he Dick moved into that area. Yeah. And it was a wonderful seven years. I mean, I, I grew up with my idols uh, in the, the movies, uh, uh, whatever, and, and to spend seven years meeting people that I never thought I'd <laughs> I'd see except on the silver screen was really wonderful. In the event that you've just joined us, my guests in the studio this morning, Nolan Kenner and Fred Foy. And uh, Nolan, you brought along with you this morning uh, a script, and this is actually uh, what we would call a promo, uh, a promotional announcement, which very likely ran at some point. Promoting, promoting the next the show. next show, correct. All right, and we thought, uh, because we have enough warm bodies in here... <laughs> <laughs> We, we have recruited Ron Quazala to play a part here, that we would actually try to uh, to do this. We, we do have one gentleman in the studio with us this morning who will no doubt do a sparkling job. The rest of us, uh, there is a big question mark in my mind. Uh, uh, let's see, we've got uh, we've got the announcer part. I think we pretty much have that covered, Nolan. Yep. Uh, then we've got a judge and Gibson and a bailiff and Clayton. So actually we are, we're one man short. So I will, uh, uh, with your permission, take the part of the bailiff and Clayton. And I will try to make the bailiff sound different than Clayton. <laughs> uh, now, you'll take the judge's part because I know you've been studying this at home. I have. I've been practicing. <laughs> and, and I was wondering if you would say my name with Fred Foy again. Because <laughs> you like that sound? <laughs> I got Nolan Kenner and Fred Foy. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, if you will, uh, Mr. Quazala, if you will take the part of the man who is going to be sentenced to death, uh, Gibson, we selected <laughs> that. Typecasting. Not much of a stretch. For so I, I guess, uh, Fred, I guess we should start with a little appropriate music. Uh, would that be in order? Would you like for me oh, to yes, start please. with the music here? All right. Very now, good. this is a professional deal we're running here. Here we go. The judge looked down at the prisoner who cowered before him. You'll be remanded to the custody of the sheriff and taken to the county jailhouse. Then in the morning, you'll pay the penalty for murder, death by hanging. But I didn't kill him, Judge. I didn't. Take the prisoner away. Come on, you. But I didn't kill him. I'm innocent. I didn't kill him. As the prisoner was dragged from the courtroom, the real murderer smiled and said to his partner, Well, that's the last we'll see of that, hombre. Now everything is perfect. Then the Lone Ranger comes onto the scene and things become far from perfect for the murderers. But the prisoner makes a false move and places himself in the path of those who will kill him before the hangman does. Only the Lone Ranger may save him. Be sure to listen to this next thrill-packed Lone Ranger adventure. Oh, man, we're pretty darn good, I tell you. <laughs> Better than I thought we'd do. <laughs> That's a wrap. That's a wrap, buddy. Thank you there, Ron. You, you, make, a, you make a good murderer. You've done good. You've done good, buddy. There you go. A lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Wow. That, that was a great deal at the end. Um, geez, it sounded for real. You know, the uh, thing that I noticed after I listened to it, the, the, there was something different that I couldn't figure. It, it, it didn't have the sound that the Ranger had or those shows that came out of Detroit. And I realized it's the microphone technique that they use. 
we each had a microphone. And in Fred's days, they had one microphone in the center of the studio. Mm-hmm. And the actor or the announcer would walk to it and move away. And if the announcer uh, or if the actor had a part where he rode away or ran away from the the uh, microphone, he would continue to do his part in yelling it. You know, back they knew how how to do that. Mm. We we just control levels on microphones. You know, and it, it just yeah. didn't have the same feel to it. But you sit next to <laughs> to Fred or be in the same studio, and he does that opening. You you hear it live. And Jack mentioned the chill bumps. You really do. You really do. It, it's just a historical kind of piece of work. A voice with an echo. I have a question for you about the opening that he did. Uh-huh. At the end of the opening, he was the one who said the words, steady, big fella. You're right. And I right. didn't realize that that was part of Fred's line. I thought it was always the Lone Ranger actor who it, came in with that line. It was. He, he just does that for personal appearances. Oh, but, oh, oh, okay. I feel better. <laughs> yeah. It, but it, it, said, it sounded just—it sounded just the way it was supposed to. Right, and and he will. He, I watched him do that. He'll turn his head away from the microphone too, where he, he did that day. Uh huh. You know, steady big fellow, and then Hayo Silver. He's, he's facing practically the other direction from the microphone, just uh, sheer training, you know. Uh huh. Wow. Okay, I'm going to give you two more names. Okay. And this is one-liner, anecdote, whatever you want to do. Dick Clark. Oh, um, big thrill, uh, big fan. I felt like uh, American Bandstand was the uh, just the, the place to listen for, for music. I would listen to the, his show to see what I was going to play on my little program at night in high school. And uh, the I'm trying to put things in order here. I, I had written him a letter about something about the bloopers show that he was doing, and I was uh, suggesting that he do it for radio. You remember the TV bloopers when they first came out? Mm-hmm. How popular they were? And so we had a little period of correspondence there. Uh, and I have the letters that uh, I'll, I'll show you someday if you like. I, I can bore you for hours with them. <laughs> I'm, I'm a pack rat. Boring you know, is not the word. Go ahead. I just go around and have my clips with me. <laughs> now, you, you little... actually met Dick Clark, is that correct? On a couple of occasions, yes. Uh, I had, uh, we we were in uh, Las Vegas when he was out there, and the angel and Dick Clark walked up behind me and, and registering at the hotel. Do you believe that? Uh-uh. And I, I turned around, and uh, I, I couldn't believe it. And one of our gang came along with a camera, and I said, um, would you take my picture with this uh, distinguished gentleman here? And they, he said, uh, sure, and Dick started adjusting his tie and everything. I've been on an airplane about six hours and I'm, he started straightening everything up. I said, don't worry about it. I can remember when I was younger than you are. Do you get uh, it? I understand it. <laughs> I understand I can remember that. when I was younger. He, I, he, I passed him at some point. You know, he stayed young and I got older. I know. Yeah. I know. Uh, it, no matter when... Go, go ahead. It doesn't matter when we saw him. He almost never changed. That's right. And and I have had occasion to, to uh, talk with his wife a couple of occasions. And, well, one where we talked about him. And I, I said, what is what is his secret? What does he do? He says he doesn't do anything. He <laughs> drinks vodka. He doesn't, what, doesn't watch his diet. And it's just all genes. You know, he's just very, very lucky. Yeah. And, that's, uh, that's funny. I, one night, I'm, 
let me tell you now, I, I ask Fred, uh, Frank Brzee occasionally. There might be some merit in that, after all. I, I guess so. I, I haven't heard it discussed much, but they, they say that the musicians on the Grand Ole Opry uh -huh. always came in with their their instrument cases. But if you notice, the instruments are in their other hand. There's a bottle in the, in the uh, case. Ah. Uh. And they had hired these these uh, very talented musicians right out of the hills of Tennessee and Georgia and wherever they could get them in the beginning. Uh -huh. And these these guys were petrified. They had to practically get blown away before they could perform. And it wasn't unusual for them to have a little flask inside the guitar case. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't know what maybe well something reference you made to Frank said, but I guess a lot of that goes on. I I never found it helpful. I I found it would just make make it uh, worse if I kind, kind of make the it. words a little. <laughs> a little off. A little harder to say. I, the, uh, but a very wise DJ told me one day, he said, do not ever drink before a performance of any kind because if you do it exceptionally well, you'll think you need to do that every time. Mm. I never thought of it that way. Well, that's interesting. I'll never be able to. I had a great night, but it was just because of that Jim Beam I had earlier. You, know? <laughs> you and he are buddies, huh? Oh, so okay, Jim, I'm, yeah. I'm going to pinch two names together, and then I will leave you alone on the names. Kirk Allen and Noel Neal. Oh, um, one of the, I think we were talking about it earlier in one of the other uh, interviews about how some of these actors in those early serials had never seen the serials. They had never seen what they were in, which is just unbelievable to me to think that, that that could happen. But I guess it could. You know, they don't exactly run down to the neighborhood theater in Los Angeles, wherever it might be, to see those, uh, see how they did or how they looked. And Kirk Allen was uh, a collector, showed him the serial for the first time and made it available to him on 16-millimeter film. And then he started going around touring with it. And uh, I had, and this is a Bill Bragg connection, I had the uh, uh, good fortune of finding a picture that I had never seen before of Kirk Allen as Superman and this posed uh, shot that they usually displayed outside the theaters. And... Um, I actually got the time to, the opportunity to show it to him and ask him, and he's never seen it before. And this was in Metropolis, Illinois, which is the home of Superman. Mm -hmm. And we had gone there for uh, the uh, annual convention. Have you ever heard of that, Metropolis, nope. Illinois? That, that's they have his likeness on the weather on the uh, what is it called the water tower, as well as a statue in the courtyard of the uh, downtown square. And it's all Superman, everything, and they have a convention every year where they, the actors come in and they uh, those that are still left are there and little Noel Neal is there and I had uh, this picture this uh, poster I bought at Universal in, in uh, Orlando of all the Republic Pictures stars had signed it and uh, Noel Neal was in a Republic movie and she had not signed it so I took it up there for to get her signature 
and you thought I brought the moon. She was just so, uh, and just quiet, sweet little lady, and uh, I just really enjoyed meeting her. And she's uh, everything you'd think. And it was amazing the number of people that she had encouraged, women that she had encouraged to, to work in newspaper business as a result of that little serial. She said that Wonderful. she's spoken at universities, and she said she never would think it would have had an impact like that. It's a, be kind of Did like she sign Noel Neal or Lois Lane? Uh, from from Lois Lane, yeah. She did sign Lois Lane. Wow. Yeah, in the TV, she did the TV and the and the serial. Uh huh. The, the uh, an actress, oh, I can't think of her name, did the first season on TV, then had a conflict, and they they were not going to have anybody that was in the serial on the screen in the movies in the TV series. Mm -hmm. They made an exception for her because they needed a replacement for. Uh, yeah. Phyllis Coates was her name. She did a replacement for her. Noel Neal was a very perky person on screen. So from my un, un, uneducated point of view, they made a wonderful choice with her. Yeah, she was kind of uh, tough in a way and feminine in a way and uh -huh. did did a good Lois Lane. Yeah, and, and played stupid extremely well. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, really, you, you had to be able to portray a level of ignorance in that role, not recognizing that Clark Kent and Superman were the same person, and she pulled it off. Right. I, mean, I mean, I meant that as a compliment. I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't say it quite well enough, but I meant it as a compliment in her acting skills. I want to change directions on you here. What, one quick observation. Before uh -huh. you do that. The, sure. Um, I thought George Reeves was awfully good at changing, too, the mild-mannered reporter uh, to to Superman, but uh -huh. the, she uh, Noel was saying that the thing that they also was nobody seemed to notice that she always had the same outfit on, <laughs> <laughs> and that was almost as uh, telling as the not being able to tell the difference between Superman and Clark. But she said that the reason they did that is that they shot out of sequence so much that they would go in and do the all the scenes that would. Have, be in her office for the whole season uh -huh. in one or two days so that they would have to wear the same clothes so that it would match shots later later on. But for economy's sake, they would not, they'd fix the set for Perry White's office, go in and do every scene that was to appear in there and for the entire year. And she said, we had no idea where we were in the, in the script because it was always so, you know, strung out. Uh -huh. I, I thought that was interesting, the way they had to wear the same clothes for a very How good remarkable. But, uh, but that anyway. really is a remarkable piece of information. I thought so. I thought that was quite interesting. Wouldn't have to worry about that in radio. They could show up in their bunny slippers, but not but on I, TV. You know, that's right. But wow. I, uh, I have to tell you, I, I showered and shaved before tonight. <laughs> I noticed. <laughs> well, you, you wouldn't, but... You, well, I, I did. You I mean, you look great for radio. You have to well, look good. You. I, I always... Rizola had a face for radio. Oh, that's funny. Um, I, I have a circle around something that we touched base on when the three of us were talking this afternoon and checking sound and stuff. I asked you, and then I really am going to the Christmas ones, I asked you about clubs or unusual things or out-of-control items, and you mentioned three times. Um, the first one... Do you do you recall which three we were talking oh, about? Let's see. Um, 
one was uh, in Miami where I thought I was I was there only a week, and I thought, well, that's the shortest career in Miami radio anybody's ever had. I'm <laughs> going to be fired. But the uh, <laughs> the lead into this uh, newscast was sponsored by Lipton Tea, and the slogan was Lipton tastes better because it never tastes bitter. You know what Kenner said? What? Lipton tastes bitter because it never tastes better. Oh man! <laughs> and um. uh, the program director said he almost wrecked his car. He was laughing so hard. So I felt I felt okay on that one. But it's a uh, and then the, the spoonerisms. Are the, you know what they are? Uh huh. Spoonerisms. My favorites. Yeah. You take the words out of one word, or the, the what am I trying to say? The letters out of one word and transpose them to another. Right. But it, I was apparently. Uh, same thing in the news intro, and it was Kentucky Fried Chicken. His finger licking good. Oh, no. Well, Kenner said, Kentucky Fried Chicken, it's linger ficking good. <laughs> I'll accept that one. I was scared. <laughs> oh, dear. I felt like I had like said something terrible, but if you break it down, I really didn't. You really didn't. I, I was kind of holding my breath there for a minute. <laughs> you talked about um, three laughing points. Um, Three things that you laughed at. One, I'll I'll say it out loud. One happened to the men's room. Oh, uh, so, uh, quoting a remark that was made. Well, no, you you had something propped up in the. In the oh, men's room. oh, okay. I was thinking of two different things. <laughs> One was uh, Paul Harvey was did his broadcast from the Miami studios, and we the newsman and I were <laughs> in there. These guys will do, and we're washing our hands and talking. Mr. Harvey comes in to do what men do in restrooms, women do in their restrooms, and <laughs> he left. And the, the, my friend said, you know, he's not so different. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee. It, well, <laughs> that wasn't the one I was thinking about. <laughs> they just hung there, you know, sort of. Oh. I found that news people have... Probably the greatest sense of humor is anybody. They have a uh, marvelous sense of humor. They do because they deal with so many gory, thing, gory things all the, all the time. Yeah. Depressing things. Well, and you talked today about a porpoise. Okay. The, this is one that um, I have a clip, but it was on reel-to-reel tape, and I haven't transferred everything to CD yet, or I would play it for you. I did get, get to keep it, but it was uh, the the story was that. A porpoise had been propped up in the men's room of the Glasgow radio uh, railroad station, and how the porpoise got there in the first place nobody knows. <laughs> but I, I laughed through the whole thing toward the end. I had not read the story before because, uh, as you might imagine, they when people write news for a newscaster, they know how many words he will say in four and a half minutes. Uh-huh. And that's that's why it always seems to come out right. Well, they can also control what you do. They put some filler material in there. It says if you if you ever need it, we'll always have a little kicker story or something back here that you can fill if you happen to run run short. They purposely wrote, wrote me short, so I'd have to use that thing. And I picked it up and I pictured that porpoise in that stall of the men's room, somebody opening the door, and it just cracked me up. And I, I laughed. I thought I was again going to instead of being fired, be reduced in rank or something before the day was over. But I got away with that. And then almost a year or two later, somebody remembered that fish. <laughs> Uh, tickled me or caused me to laugh and uh, we had this newsman named John Grimaldi we all accused him of being part of the mob you know in in New York 
and he wrote the story, and it, he said that a, a uh, 50 ton, no, oh, that'd be uh, 20 ton, 52 foot whale had been found floating face down in the Hudson River. <laughs> well, only criminals were found floating face down, you know, in all the newspaper coverage of the mafia and things like that that went on. And that, that struck me. If I could see the tail straight up and the face down in the river. And this, uh, I, I laughed again. I have a twisted sense of humor, I guess. That was good. That is, that is not a twisted sense of humor. That is worth <laughs> laugh time. And I'll bet you had a whole lot of people who were participating in the laugh fun there. I Nolan, I, I have dragged you <laughs> through a whole bunch of time here, and I'm having such a wonderful time. I don't want to let you go without talking a little bit about Christmas. We've got Christmas in July, and you have some Christmas experiences and maybe some traditions that you can talk about. Well, first Christmas in July, I, I heard, heard of this earlier in my life because I had an older brother who was, you talk about a twisted sense of humor. He would come in in June in Georgia, as hot as it is, you know, and it's 8.30 in the morning and he comes around in the corner in our, our room we shared with double-decker beds and all that good stuff. And, and he said, Santa came. Hurry, Santa came. And, you know, gullible me and my Dr. Denton's get up and run out in the living room where the tree is normally placed and there's no Santa Claus. And he's laughing over in the corner. Now, wasn't that cruel? That was terrible. <laughs> Well, you're telling me it's Christmas and it's July. You're about as bad. Well, gee, Willica, get... did, I'm going to blame this on Walden, uh, and I'm I'm 100% with him. He celebrates Christmas in July every year, so he gets two months' worth of Christmas mm -hmm. out of the year, and he celebrates his birthday for two weeks. So this guy really knows how to get some mileage out of special occasions. That That's that's nice. I yeah. Know. Hey, it's nice. nice. Do do you have well? You know, you were you were talking about not necessarily having the greatest environment to have super Christmases as a kid. Um, what about as an adult? Were you able to put together any Christmas traditions for your family? Oh, uh, yeah. I guess it, I don't know if it was be called traditional or not, but I sure laid it on strong. <laughs> I, I really celebrated with it and made sure that the kids got everything they asked for and most of most of what they asked for and it usually wasn't uh, uh you know unreasonable mm -hmm. uh, i think based on the fact that i was so disappointed so many times but i had a, a couple of very good ones i had one where it involved a radio that i wanted it was a helicrafters radio uh, helicrafters made shortwave radios that had the am band on there and i would use it to i wanted to use it to listen to distant stations all around the country mm -hmm. and uh but the, my mother had the money for it, but the radio was only available in Atlanta. And Joe would have to drive down there to get it, and, and they, he just took me with, with him. And I knew what we were going for and didn't mind because I was so excited about it. But it was three days before Christmas when we got back, and I put it in the closet and wouldn't open it until Christmas. That way I would have something that was, uh, you know, special. And, How uh, cool. And so I, I did that and kind of uh, and didn't mind. You know, I, I really got this, this neat gift. The other time, and a lot of guys will relate to this, was when I got my electric train. And that was a American Flyer Santa Fe diesel, uh -huh. which I also reconstructed after coming home from the uh, 
when I retired, I mm-hmm. got on eBay and found uh, and made up the first train I ever had. and had a static display of it on the shelf for years, but it, it somehow wasn't the same. <laughs> you know, you want it to be, but it isn't really. It just it's isn't. nice to have it. Now, you've got, uh, you said about a year old. Your year warranty on the twins has expired. Right. So they're really yours, and you can't take them back. Um, you've, you've got to keep them. What do you hope either to be able to do or what will be done over the years with the kids? Oh, um, well, just know that uh, Granddad is here if needed for, for whatever, and uh, I, I, I have not experienced anything like that in my life, even with my own children. I guess it's something you kind of take for granted, or you're so caught up in the rush of being a parent that you, you don't have the, the uh, luxury of of what happens when you're a grandparent, where you can yeah. really stand back and watch things happen and know that you're not responsible for the next changing or taking care of a, a, things that babies need. <laughs> when, when I walked into that uh, hospital and my son brought those two boys out and held them up for me to kiss on their forehead, I, at that moment, five seconds later, I, I would have given my life for either one of them. It's kind of uh, an amazing thing. I'd, I'd heard about grandparenting forever from people who were so proud of their grandchildren. And now I can see why. I mean, I'm just hanging on every uh, one of the twins. Yeah. They say duck now when he sees a duck on the pond. Aww. And every little little thing. You, and Warren, with electronics the way they are today, he takes pictures with his, uh, his, his, his uh, what I want to say, his cell phone. Uh-huh. Sends, sends him the same day, and it's almost like I was with him in the park when he took the pictures. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's, it's a great time to be alive. Uh, what are you going to do with, for, at Christmas with them? Oh, when they learn that it, what, what it's all about, I, I will uh, probably be there after they wake up <laughs> Christmas morning. Oh. I want to see it. It They're sounds just, great. Uh, it sounds wonderful. I, I can tell that you're just not adapting very well to this uh, grandparent role. No, I, I'm not, I'm going to need some practice. Some <laughs> I'll see if I can find a booklet, an instruction booklet along here. Nolan, we have covered probably um, more territory than you ever expected I was going to ask about, but there's got to be something that I should have asked but didn't. What is it? Oh, um, are, do you give radio interviews and, and know for sure that people are still after you. <laughs> you know? uh, say that again. Uh, giving radio interviews is kind of dangerous when you have people out there looking for you, <laughs> gunning for you. Uh-oh. Well, we won't tell them where you are. Yeah, Except you're all location. over the you're all over the internet, so that doesn't help. I'm in a secret studio with very bad equipment. <laughs> the, the things, I'll ask you. Did it, overall, were the clips okay? The clips were wonderful. What a marvelous addition to what would have been a conversation you had show and tell. This was great. I just loved it. Well, great. I, I was really referring to the quality or the uh, how they sounded on the other end. But well, that was I'll great. Take... That was great too. But I'm I'm just so delighted. Uh, it, it came in two parts. I'm so happy that you did it. And number two, I'm so happy that they sounded so great. Well, that, that's good to hear. I, that was always my policy in the, in the news department at our radio stations was use as many actualities as you can because it's like pictures in a newspaper. 
Mm. It's awfully dull reading just page after page, but if you come to a picture, it breaks it up and gives you a little insight into what's going on. So I said, I don't care what the quote is. Have the guy say it, not you. Uh-huh. And, and it, it seemed to work for us. Well, it worked very well here. Well, Nolan Kenner, you are a joy to talk with. You're the kind of person um, we should be able to talk with at least once a week. Uh, well, you're this, very, very this kind. Was, Oh, this was just great. I'm so glad that we got the time together. Me too. Uh, I've enjoyed it and, and enjoyed the preparation this afternoon and the, got the juices flowing again when Walden said, that's not coming through. I don't know what's wrong. I said, it's <laughs> Can't take that war horse out of you, right? Knowing that radio man is always going to be part of you. I, I guess so. It's just that I don't handle it as well as I used to. But I, uh, <laughs> you, we, you we did made it fine. work. Well, you did folks, fine. I want to say good morning. And <laughs> That's right. Goodbye. Gosh, it, you know, it really is almost breakfast time here. Walden is still before midnight out there, but we're going to have breakfast pretty soon. So. Well, good. I will uh, wish you all well, and we'll do it again sometime. I hope so, Nolan. Thank you so much for spending so much time with us. Thanks for the invitation. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Walden, well, you take thanks. care. Thanks. All right, Nolan. Hi to Sally for us. I sure will. Bye-bye. 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 There he goes. That was Nolan Kenner, whose voice you can hear on the live show, opens the live show four nights a week, Monday through Thursday, with Bill Bragg and Mike Handy, and Nolan is the person who does the introduction, and we are so fortunate to have him. Merry Christmas, Walden. Merry Christmas, Patricia. Well? That was such a great interview. Oh, wasn't he a, a, Gosh, a great... Gosh, Nolan, thank you so much. Yeah. Well, Patricia, we should de- let's do a little table talk here. Okay. I need time for you and I to take a little, a little bit of a break. Okay. To stretch out. Okay. So what should I play? Should I play, I have a Fibber McGee Maui Christmas album here. It runs 18 minutes. I... Or I could play, I don't know, traditional clips as we normally open your segment. Or we could play a Christmas show and come back. What, what would you like to do? Oh, I would like you to play the 18-minute Christmas um, album. Album. All right. That's the word. 18-minute Christmas album. This is something that nobody will ever hear anywhere else. Is that correct? You got it. Let me describe what it was. Uh, I think this came out, I think, Christmas time in 1945. I hear it promoted on one of the Fibber, McGee, and Molly shows. I think it's 45, maybe 47, but I think it's 45. And they put out a album set, and maybe people can find a picture of it on eBay. It came out in 78 records, a series, and it's a Fibber McGee and Molly uh, put out a Christmas album. And Fibber, Molly, and Patricia, what will make teeny, you know, they're all there. And... Uh, you know, it's classic. It's classic Fibber and Molly and Teeny routines. And then you have the King's Men uh, do the night before Christmas. And Patricia, you know what the cute thing about the the night before Christmas was? What? You know, remember, these were 78 records and they flip over, uh, you know, they only have a, a, a life of three and a half minutes. So you have to huh? flip the record album. So Teeny makes a remark, oh, I think we're at the end. And Fibber said, yeah, Santa's stuck in the groove. We're going to have to flip the record over. Oh, how cute. Yeah. 
So oh, people, that's adorable. Oh, yeah. So that's what's going to happen. You're going to hear this 18 minutes. You'll hear Fibber and Molly and Teeny uh, do different routines for about, tw- yeah, I might, might guess 12 minutes. And then you'll hear the last six minutes of the night before Christmas of the Kingsman. Okay. And, and I, what- wanted to, I want to say just one thing before you flip over to that. Uh-huh. When we come back, I'm going to ask for the answer to this question. This is up front. This is your first trivia. I want to know the central, this is the central, words from the central song of a now traditional Christmas show. I want to know who the character is that these words are describing. And this is in the song. It's, you're a mean one. You're really a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel. You have termites in your smile. Your heart is full of unwashed socks, and your soul is full of gunk. So when I come back, I want to know who is being described by those words. And now we go to Fibber, McGee, and Molly. All right. So here we go back, and Patricia and I will stretch and come back in about 18 minutes. So here we go. Now, let me see. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the day. Oh, dead rabbit. There's something wrong with this O-string, Molly. There isn't any O-string, McGee. Why, sure there is. Listen. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, you see, it always goes wrong on the O. I think it's your conscience, dear. What do you mean, my conscience? Well, instead of lying there on your back playing that mail-order mandolin, you should be helping me trim this Christmas tree. Where do you think this little bell ought to go? Right up on top. Jingle bells, jingle bells. But it doesn't belong on top, McGee. That's where the big star always goes. We always put the star up on top. Well, why don't we do something different for once? We're getting in a rut. Christmas is a day when you don't want to do anything different. Christmas isn't Christmas unless you follow the good old rules and customs. Oh, you're just sentimental. Oh, and you're not, I suppose. Nope. Cold-blooded as a frozen frog. Christmas is just another day to me. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Whoop, 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 whoop. Done it anyway. What the... Why don't you play something else, dearie? Pretty Red Wing, if I may make a suggestion. What? On Christmas Eve? Haven't you got any sentiment? <laughs> well, play anything you like. I've got to go upstairs and find some more ornaments. Don't do any work on the tree till I get back. I'll try to control myself. Ah, there goes a good kid. Running her little legs off upstairs, trying to find more ornaments. But she won't find any up there. I just saw them out in the garage. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh! Hey, that was a pretty effect. I wonder how I did that. Oh, there's the doorbell. Come on. Hi, mister. Oh, hello there, Teeny. Have a chair, and I'll dash off a few selections for you on my old mandolin. Oh. <laughs> Listen, I'd rather you tell me a story, mister, about Christmas. I love Christmas stories. You do, eh? Hmm? I says you do, eh? Too hot. You love Christmas stories. I know it. Okay, get a good grip on yourself, sis. This is a filler. Once upon a time... Gee, that's not very original, mister. What do you mean it's not very original? Well, I got a lot of books at home, and that's the way they all start. Once upon a time. Why don't you do something different? Look, sis. A very wise woman told me once that Christmas was a day when you don't want to do anything different. Christmas is a day when you want to follow the old rules and customs. Who was the wise woman? 
nice woman. My wife. And the reason I remembered is because she just told me not more than five minutes ago. Another ten minutes and I remember remembered it. Now, quit interrupting me, will you? Okay. Once upon a time... I like that. Good. Once upon a time, a long, long time ago, there lived a little old tailor in a little cabin in a great big forest. Oh, boy. Well, sir, one winter day, the tailor was out for a walk in the woods when he heard a funny little whimpering noise. Oh, was he scared? Nah, not a bit. He had his great big scissors right in his hand. He knew if a wildcat had attacked him, he could make a coat, vest, and two pairs of pants out of him before he could say, I'll pay you next week. Oh, what was the noise, mister? What was it? That's what the little tailor wanted to know, sis. So he peers all around. He was very nearsighted, see. But he didn't care. Because when you've fitted clothes on funny-shaped people for 40 years, you've seen everything anyway. Oh. <laughs> well, sir, all of a sudden, he peeks into a hollow stump of a tree. And there was a little bear cub crying his little eyes out because it was so cold and he was hungry and his mama wasn't there to keep him warm. Didn't he have any fur on him? No, this was a bear bear cub, sis. He rubbed his fur all off trying to burrow a hole in the frozen ground that he could crawl into. Oh. So the little old tailor picks him up in his arms and tried to get him warm. But the wind was blowing too hard, and it was getting darker and colder every minute. And the little cub was too heavy to carry all the way back to his cabin. Hey, what'd he do, mister? What'd he do? What did he? Well, sir, he knew that little bear cub had to have some clothes. So he whips out his sewing kit, gathers up a lot of leaves, and was going to sew them together to make an overcoat for the little cub. Oh. But just then, a terrible thing happened. I know, I betcha. The leaves were points and ivory, hmm. No, worse than that. The tailor dropped all his needles in the snow. Bad enough to lose a needle in a haystack, sis, but in a thousand acres of snowdrifts, that's trouble. <laughs> that poor little bear cub. <laughs> now, 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 now. Take it easy, sis. Take it easy. I got him into this, and I can get him out. Well, sir, that little old tailor had lived in the woods so long that he and Mother Nature were great friends, and he knew she'd help him. But, gee, where could he find her in that great big forest? Why, that was easy. The bigger the forest, the closer you are to Mother Nature. So he just looked around, and there she was. Hi, Mother, he says. Hello, Taylor, she murmured. Can Mother Nature talk? She can to people who understand her, like this little old Taylor. Listen, Mother, he says. I've got to make some clothes for this little cub here, and I've lost all my needles in the snow. How about a fast thaw so I can find them? Oh, boy, did she do it, huh? Did she, huh? Nope. Too many little wild creatures were sleeping under the snow, and she didn't want to disturb them till spring. Uh, so she waves her magic wand, and Zippo, all those trees around them sprouted needles. The tailor grabs a handful of needles, tailors a beautiful warm overcoat for the little cub, and tucks him back into the hollow stump to wait for his mother. Uh, and that's why Christmas trees are covered with needles, sis, all year round, to remind people that there might be other creatures that are cold and hungry. And why not spread the good things around? Oh, McGee, I heard that story and I loved every word of it. Oh, hi, Miss McGee. I like the story too, I betcha. Good. Now, why don't you take your little sled and go out on the pond in the park? There isn't any ice on it, mister. Yes, I know. <laughs> McGee, don't be like that. Well, gee whiz. Look, mister, I got business to see you about. Do you like to hear children sing Christmas carols? Sis, there's nothing I love more than to have a little group of childish voices stand outside my window, blatting their melodious little heads off. Particularly if I ain't home that night. Oh, me 
maybe you're still mad on account of last year, hmm? No, I'm not. That has nothing to do with it. What's this? What happened last year that I don't know about? Now, now, never mind, sis. That's ancient history. Well, us kids were going around singing Christmas carols, and Mr. McGee came Never out. mind, never mind, never mind. Give the kid a cookie, Molly. Gee, thanks, mister. Anyway, Mr. McGee came out while we were singing. Sis, and... I told you nobody was interested. Now, let's just drop the subject. What kind of a cookie do you want? Any kind, thanks. And a glass of milk. And Mr. McGee came running out of the house. Now, now, cut that and out, And he sis. wanted to sing with us, only when we heard him sing, we didn't want him to, and he followed us all over town, and, gee, we couldn't get rid of him, and he kept trying to sing, and, and people threw things at us out of the windows, and, gee... Oh, Dad rat it, sis. Run along now, will you? And come back tomorrow. I'll have a surprise for you. I got a surprise for you, too, mister. I got some little friends outside who are waiting to sing you a Christmas carol. Doggone it, sis. How many times I got to tell you I don't like kids singing Christmas carols? I don't want to hear any. Frankly, dearie, he'd love it. But you know, he knows himself too well. When he hears those Christmas songs, he goes all mushy inside. Now look, you pretend he's hurt your feelings, make believe you're going on home. Hey, hey, what goes on here? What are you two whispering about? She says I better go home, mister. She says you're mad at me because... I want to have the kids sing a Christmas carol well, for you. Well, I'm not exactly mad. I bet you you are, I bet you. And, gee, the kids have been out there in the cold all this time when we kind of made pots. Now, now, <laughs> now, now, none of that, sis. Cut it out. The only reason I didn't want them to sing is, well, you be with It's okay, mister. I know how you feel. Thanks for the cookies and thanks. Hey, don't rush away like this, sis. My gosh, I'll listen to your old Christmas carol if it means that much. I no, guess no, you don't like them. I do too like them. I only you thought... don't either like them. I do too. You don't. I do so. No. Yes. No. Look, sis, please. Here, take my handkerchief and wipe your nose. Thank you. Now bring in your half pint glee club and let them do their worst, which I imagine is pretty bad. They are not bad. They're wonderful. Okay, so they're terrific. Bring them in. All righty. Hey, Kenny, Ratty, Johnny, buddy, come on in. Same to you, boys. Well, what handsome little fellas. What you gonna give us, kids? The night before Christmas. And gee, we rehearsed it like 60. Are you ready? Ready, sis. No, wait. Hey, Mama. What's the matter, dearie? Here, take my money and my watch. You know me. Every time I hear these things, I want to give away everything I own. Oh, 
such a clatter. I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. I went to the window, I flew like a flash, threw open the shutters, threw open the sash. Them, what to my wondering, I should appear by the Like Santa Claus got stuck in the groove, sis. Kind of a nick in the record, you might say. <laughs> we better turn it over. Yeah, I guess you have, sir. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
skipped over apple picked, doesn't it, mister? Oh, the actual day, Dexter. Don't forget, you got six months to remember it, and then six months to look forward to it again. Yes, but the songs are all about the night before Christmas. Why don't they sing about the night after Christmas? Why don't they? Why don't they? Oh, they do, Teeny. They do. Listen. sing about the night after Christmas. Yes. You know, mister, I wish I could see Santa's reindeer sometime, I betcha. <laughs> I'd like to pet them and maybe feed them an apple or something. Do deers eat apples, huh? Oh, sure they do, sir. You're a dear little girl and you eat apples. I had a little girl deer once and it ate apples. Did, did you really, mister? Did you, did you really? Did I what? Did you have a little girl deer? I sure did. Little spotted fawn she was. Name of Mildred. Oh. Always sticking her warm little nose into my pockets for sugar. Oh. Where is she now, mister? Where is she? Well, she grew up to be a beautiful deer, sis. A doe. And I sure miss her. It's a great feeling to have a little doe in your pocket. Especially the night after Christmas. Patricia. Wasn't that cool? Yeah. Merry Christmas, everybody. That was great. Except I had to listen to the song. My confession is I don't enjoy that song. Well, it's, it's, you know. Did we have a radio show named something like True Confessions? Uh, I think we did. Mary Lee Taylor, maybe? Maybe, yep. I have some Mary Lee Taylor shows. Hooray! Located them. Isn't that amazing? Now I have to listen to some. I know. It's it's what 
excuse me, Harlow Wilcox talks about every once in a while and will say, oh, Sally's friend was going to jump in front of a truck. <laughs> she has wonderful recipes for you, too. Tune in to, you know, and you wonder what kind of recipes you could give to a friend who was throwing herself under a bus, you know? Cyanide apple pie. All right. Yeah. 714-545-2071, her number. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to play trivia. Love whatever Patricia wants to do. We have, um, of course we have trivia, and tonight is Christmas shows, Christmas uh, music, uh, CDs for each one. we got Christmas show CDs, Christmas music CDs, and the questions relate to Christmas shows and Christmas music. So that's our trivia night for tonight, and I did ask... Well, I have your question, too. Oh, oh. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, I did ask before Walden played that special album for us, which Christmas character, and of course Google is always accessible, access, acceptable, help me here. You speak better than I, so it's, I mean, you know, it's tough. It's both accessible and acceptable. There we go. Oh. We can always do Christmas. Let's see who's taking a chance. Hello there. Hello. Hello, Lucille. Oh, Lucy, how are you? Good. How are you? Fine, thank you. Are you going to tell me the answer to the description I gave? You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Recognized it right away. Some of these are really good. Your heart is full of unwashed socks. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to turn you down, Patricia? Your head. Me, I figure you're not. Don't know have to be up your no the Frank Percy level. I can put you down, Patricia level. Oh well, I can't hear you now. Well, that's good. <laughs> it is not good. I can hear Lucy fine. I can't hear you. Well, that's good. Oh, there we go. Okay, I have to get on my mic. Now, there we go. I copied the whole Grinch song. I mean, it's awful, and this is a wonderful little kid's show. <laughs> no, it's one of my favorite cartoons. <laughs> well, my goodness, you know, I mean, I've seen it. I'm not sure I've ever seen it start to finish, but I have certainly seen it, and it's a wonderful story. But I started... Reading through this, I mean, you're a rotter, you're the king of sinful thoughts. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> this is not exactly a warm, fuzzy creature, you know? Uh, no, it absolutely isn't. I wanted to say. What? I, I was coming to that next. Yes. What a fantastic interview with Right up my alley. That was on your page. Oh, was it ever. And God bless Ringo. Just turned 70 years old this past week. Did he really? Yes, he did. July 7th is his birthday. He just turned a whopping 70 years old. Wow. And, and Paul is still out there performing? So is Ringo. Ringo is too? Yes, he, my cousin just saw him in Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. How is he doing? Is he, is he, 
I don't, I don't know how to say this without sounding terrible. Sometimes performers get old with years and never get old in performances, and sometimes they do. How did he do? I know what you mean about that because there are some groups that you go and see and there's more audience participation than there is of the actual group doing things. And actually feel sorry for the person still being up on the stage. Yeah, but Ringo is still kicking it, just like Paul. He's still got the magic. He's still got the magic. I had the pleasure of meeting him. He uh, There's a, a place called the PNC Bank Art Center in New Jersey. Uh-huh. And it used to be the Garden State Art Center. And when he was appearing with his all-star band, <laughs> I knew where all the acts went and stayed, at which hotels they stayed at. You rascal. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I got to meet Ringo. I got to meet uh, Julian Lennon. I met a lot of people there, and they're... Ringo was so down to earth. He's not with. He, he's the type that does not need an umbrella in his nose if it rains. If you get my drift. I certainly do. He is just a real person. Yes, he's right. He's just like you and me. Hi, how you doing? You know. Wonderful. <laughs> oh, wonderful. I'm so happy you had the opportunity to meet so many of these people. Yeah. Yeah, I've. You know, I'm the type that I can go to a concert, meet my my utmost idol that I always wanted to meet all my life. I finally met and went to uh, Billy Joel and uh, Elton John concert at Madison Square Garden. And in front of me walks Shirley MacLaine. Oh, my. And I stopped and I said, Shirley! And she stopped, and she's looking to see if she recognized anyone in the crowd. She didn't recognize anyone. She kept going. I had binoculars with me, and I told my friend, I said, you know, I'm going to watch to see where she's seated. <laughs> I says, I've got to get her. I, I would never bother anybody like this except her. And I watched where she went. I handed my girlfriend the binoculars. I says, I'm going to get, get her. So I I went to where she sat, and she was having a discussion with a gentleman who was turned around from in front of her, talking with her. And I said, excuse me. And I said, Shirley, I says, I will not draw any attention to you. I just want to know if I hand you my Playbill book, if you would autograph it for me, please. And she said, absolutely. And she autographed it. And I turned around and I said, thank you so, so much. And I said to the gentleman who was sitting in front of her, I said, you can go back to your conversation now. And the gentleman that she was talking with was George Clooney. Oh, my goodness. How dare I interrupt George Clooney? <laughs> it's, it's a true story. I can go places and run into famous people. And my husband will say, how do you do it? How do you recognize them? I just do. You're, I don't haunt them. I leave them alone, and I just smile, and they know that I that I know who they are, and they just say thank you, you know, for not making a big deal. You know? An entertainment-oriented person. I used to say I wouldn't recognize my own sister if I passed her in an unfamiliar area. I am not 
visually oriented. Sounds I can do, maybe because of the kind of work that I do. But, uh, yeah, I'll recognize voices before I recognize people. You recognize both. Uh, I, I get them. I, we were in, my twin brother lived, and he doesn't live in Florida now. He moved back up to New Jersey. But when my, my twin brother lived in Florida, we went, drove out to visit him, and we went to, you know, Disney World. And I'm in a, a shop, and I hear this giggle that just made my head snap. And I was correct with who it sounded like. And I just turned around, and I said, hi, Cheryl. And she just cracked up giggling again. And I said, you have a great day. And she giggled again and said, you too. And it was Cher. Oh, my. Uh-huh. So, like I said, I run into them, and my husband just shakes his head going, I, I can't believe. No matter where you go, you find them. Oh, yeah. Well, that is cute. Well, Miss Grinch. Yes, dear. You may have. I guess we're going to do this more than once tonight, so I'm not going to seal an envelope for you. <laughs> well, I won't for a while, anyway. Would you like a Christmas shows CD or Christmas music CD? Christmas shows CD. Christmas shows you will have. Okay. And I'm glad, Walden, that you got the package today. Well, that's why I, uh, Patricia was going to ask me to... Uh, Relay what was on your little, uh, laminated, I guess if that's so correct, little, uh, card, or, uh... It was a certificate. Certificate. And I thought, why not let you describe it? In, in the fact that, uh, Robin emailed me after he got the package today, and I tried to explain best as I can why I go above and beyond... <laughs> It's because I know how it feels not to be appreciated, not to be loved, not to be acknowledged. And people that I care about and for all that you and Walden get me through pain-wise and situation-wise, I feel that it's proper to acknowledge those people that, whether they know it or not, do things for you. And they're big things to me that you do for me. So I printed out a certificate, and uh, you have one that Walden will be putting back in the envelope, sending it out to you with the new club cards. And I also printed one out for Walden, and I laminated them. And it's a certificate for all that you do, and you have been voted by your peers number one for all you do in the in the show and the crafts that you do and and it's signed by the president of your fan club that is so cool thank you i mean really thank you that is so cool nobody ever did anything like that for me ever before well you'll find um, that i'm that type of person i i will go and i will do things um just because if someone is, if people are good to me, I like them to know that I appreciate their kindness and their goodness. And uh, well, we sure appreciate you, and that's sincere. We really do. 
Uh, would you, um, I've got, I'm so glad you sent cards. I've got five left so that I can send five more cards out and then I need an emergency shipment. Are you fine? Uh, going out Monday, Patricia, so hopefully the Pony Express will get there to Florida. Okay, uh, Walden invited me to play games at his house on Tuesday. I said I better start running now. But, um, Lucy has started a fan club for us, the Walpat Fan Club, and everybody gets a card. If you win a CD, you get a fan club card, and I'm just having such fun with this. You did good. Well, you know, again, like I said, that's just me. I like to show my appreciation, and you guys have become friends um, and very close to family, and I told Walden, I said, I'm not a stalker, I'm not a crazed fan, it's just that I'm a person who appreciates goodness in people. Well, you are just so, you're, you're a lot of fun to talk with, you, you always have an answer. By golly, I haven't stumped you yet, have I? <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, I'll have to work on one for you as well. I've got an assignment that I every week I have to have a hard question for Walden. I may have to have two hard questions, one for you and one for him. <laughs> well, you know, you you created a monster because you told me about iTunes that if you type in flashback, uh-huh. all these freebies, oh, mother of God, <laughs> it is going to explode or throw up. <laughs> I've just been downloading. I've got over four and a half gigabytes of stuff downloaded already. Stuff, Patricia, stuff. Stuff. Stuff is very good. Now, when you download, you do not have to um, actually get the programs right away. You can download, and uh, I'm not explaining this very well. Um, let me let me just pull mine up. Oh, it's right in front of me. Okay, if you subscribe to something and you hit download, mm-hmm. and you hit subscribe on your setting here, new shows will come down, but they will not be activated until you say get or you click on them. Oh, I done did that. <laughs> well, see, that's how you save gigabytes because you don't. Click on them until you want to listen to them, and then they will download and use up space. Well, what I'm going to do is I have to call my son tomorrow because he's the one who purchased a uh, an iPad uh-huh. for me, and I don't know if it's a 4 gig or an 8 gig, and if it's an 8 gig, then what I'm going to do is I'm just going to plug the iPad in and let it download all into the iPad and then get rid of it. Got it. And by the way, everybody, you're all the tape shows that I heard on Yesterday USA are up there. So if you want to hear Frankie Gone Days of Radio, if you want to hear, you know, the Bill Bragg show, whatever, they're all up there on iTunes. Not not all the not all the episodes or all the weeks are there, but all the people uh-huh. and a representative set of shows. It's right. very confusing. I'm, right. I'm, you understand, right? You don't You don't go. Uh, okay. <laughs> Basically, because they're behind the guy who. Does it? He's generally way behind schedule, so don't expect to. If you miss, if you miss last week's program, don't expect it to be up on iTunes. Okay, he, time time they make the arrangement for him to upload it is it, you know it's ooh, quite a backlog. I thought that service was no longer available. 
did it come back online? My understanding is, is, is there, but it's sporadic. Oh, see, I thought they went out of business. Hmm. Well, what do I know? I mean, you, you know more about the station than I do. <laughs> no, profession. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, now. Repeating, all right. What, what, should I, what should I put in? Um... Give me one of the shows. Oh, how about, how about uh, the Golden Days of Radio with Frank Percy? Radio. Golden Days of Radio. Radio. Okay. Let's see what comes down. Doi, doi, doi. Old time radio shows. Golden Days of Radio. 2009 is the last one that was. Uh huh. And they're about six months behind. Yeah, now I typed in. All I typed in was Suber. And over 200 episodes popped up. Wow. There were some that were, you know, duplicates. Right. Uh-huh. But uh, for the most part, they were all different ones. And I was like, oh, Patricia, I got to tell Patricia. Good. <laughs> it's good. Yes, it is a good thing. Except a very good. Don't ever go to sleep again. Yeah, you know what? When I was done downloading them all, it told me I had over four days' worth of listening. <laughs> that's that's assuming, of course, that you never go to sleep. You've got this is true. This is true. But thank you very much for allowing me to answer a question, and I will let the phone line loose for somebody else to get a chance to win some goodies. And I'm just going to return to my pillow and put my headphones back on and listen. Mary calling. You will have a CD with Christmas shows. Wonderful. So Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas to you, too. Thanks for calling in again. Okay. Good night. Good night, Lucy. And there she goes. Okay. The Grinch is dead. Lucy got the Grinch. Ding dong. The Grinch is dead. right okay so now i have to give another question so seven one seven seven one four five four five two oh seven one so here is a question for you to ponder while i give walden his question that is supposed to stump him but i don't think it will here's your question Three chipmunks sang the chipmunk song that opened with Christmas, Christmas, time is here, time for toys and time for cheer. Name two of the three chipmunks. I was going to ask you to name three, but I'll accept two out of three. 714-545-2071. I need the names of the chipmunks. Christmas, Christmas, time is here. See, I even know it. Chipmunks are not my favorite. I know. <laughs> but that's okay. You know, they're a lot better than some of the other things that How's Alvin doing? their ears. How's Alvin doing up there, by the way? We'll, we'll get an Alvin report here in a bit. Hello, Carl. You're on with Patricia. Well, uh, how are you guys? Fine, Ron. Hi, Ron. Boy, that was a real neat interview. Wasn't he wonderful? He is such a super guy, and thank you for calling in. And um, I, I got to say, you guys interviewed him well, and he was really on the ball with that, um, with his, um, what do you call it, um, upper, uh, what did he say? The excerpts from... Oh, his programs, yeah. The the um, parts of his programs that he played when we got to the right points in the questions? <laughs> 
for toys and time for change. Yes, can you name? This is good. <laughs> yeah. Christmas, Christmas time is here. Yeah. Name the chipmunks. Alvin and Simon. Oh, very good. Do you know who the third one is? Oh, <laughs> uh, not offhand. Well, you, you don't have to because I only asked for two, but I thought I'd, I might just ask. It's Theodore. It's Theodore. It is Theodore. But that wasn't your question, Walt. <laughs> hey, by the way, Patricia, I sent you something in the mail. Oh, oh, okay. I will watch for it. Thank you. Yeah, you should get it by Tuesday or Wednesday. Okay. Well, I will watch. I've got Christmas music CDs and Christmas shows CDs. Which one would you like? Let's let's have some Christmas shows of your choice. Christmas shows? Yeah. I'd be happy to do that. Yeah. And... Uh-huh. I'm, that's why I'm, I'm in the process 
of learning how to get my computer to help transfer the cassettes the CD. Uh, to CD because I have over 10,000 cassette tapes. Oh. You know, and a lot of it I taped off the air, sort of like one of the kind stuff, like the Ray Bream interview, things that people don't have that I need to get transferred and to share it with everybody. And the Ray, the Ray Bream interviews are priceless. I mean, oh, yeah. they are really, I mean, I mean, they're, they're really solid gold. He did some, I mean, like, he, did you ever hear him interview Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet? Uh-huh. Yep. I used to hear him. Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet, on their show, yep. um, they would, they say that one of the things that they enjoyed doing was before, after their show was done, driving home in their car and listening to KBC and Ray Breen. He was really the place where people in show business, like, uh, uh, Mary, um, draw me a break, they got, come on to my house. Rosemary Clooney. Ro Rosemary Clooney, in the 70s, used to take care of her mom. Uh -huh. And her mom would live with her throughout the whole 70s, so she would get home to her show, and she and her mom would listen to Ray Breen while she was taking care of her mom. Uh -huh. So, a lot of people... A lot of people in the entertainment love listening to Ray Bream. Yeah. You know. And he really knew how to interview people, yeah. no matter what kind of interview, whether it was music or political or whatever, you know. He, he was, he, he really knew how to um, ask the right questions and, and oh, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. He was fabulous in his trade. And the Gasman told me, we're going to have John Lurie Gasman on next Saturday, and they told me they, they found more Ray Bream interviews that eventually they're going to give it to me and we can put them on the air. And I what, did you, what did you do? Did you stay up late and record them all? Yeah, I was fortunate that I could stay up late and get up at 6 in the morning and go to school. I think my, my, parent, my, my, my family knew that I was definitely a night owl. So they let me. They would wake me up at six in the morning, and I was sort of sweeping the bathtub for twenty-eight minutes. How did you record them off the air? I mean, did, did you have a line, direct line from your radio to your? Uh... I just had one of those radios that had a built-in, uh, built-in tape recorder. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And when, and you knew exactly when to turn the tape over so you wouldn't run out of. Uh, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, you bet. Well, you sure did a good job. Thank you. It's so refreshing to hear Ray Breen. It's fine. We're, we're going to hear his last show on KBC tomorrow night. Well, he'll play many hours. And Artie Shaw, Gene Autry, Rosemary Cooney, a lot of people. Uh, Les Paul, a lot of people came on. Yeah. So. Well, we're looking forward to it. And Patricia? I'm here. Oh. <laughs> we just wanted to make sure we didn't lose you. You are fabulous. You are with your um, with your trivia and all that kind of stuff, but you're very generous with your your time also and your yeah. We're gonna keep her. I'm I'm a keeper. Thank you, Ron. But you know what? I get as much fun out of it as you folks do. So check your mailbox. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised with. with Cool. Okay, well, I will go sit out there and ask my mail lady, do you have something from Hawaii for me? And she will say... Oh, I thought where you live, you get the Pony Express. <laughs> no. <laughs> the pony died. <laughs> the pony died, okay. Pony died. 
No, we do not have Pony Express. She actually comes in a mail truck. It does. Nice lady. Very nice lady. When I lived in L.A., yeah. they have the Helms truck. Do you remember the Helms truck? No. No? No. The blow his horn and the Helms truck and all. He sold pastries and all kinds of stuff. Ah, what I remember are the ice cream trucks. Oh, well, anyway, the Helms truck came to my house in L.A. one time, and we were going to buy a pastry from him, and he dug into the his pastry box and all oh, he dug way in the back. He said, I think I might have the donut you wanted. But, but unfortunately, he pulled out this donut that was about 10 days old or something. Uh-oh. Oh, it was oh, and all kinds of... He looked at himself. He was so embarrassed. Mm. And after that experience, I never bought anything from the house. Boy, I guess not. Yeah, I know. Oh, gosh, it was terrible. Well, anyway, I'll let you guys go. It was fun listening to the interview and... Fun knowing about Simon and Alvin and... 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 Uh, Theodore. Theodore is number three. Well, I, now, I have, a, I have a question for both of you. Okay. You know, uh, the creator of that was Ross Bagdarian, who changed his, who had a name by David Seville. Right. What famous song he write... That really put him on the map before he ever started David Seville. Witch Doctor. Before oh? that, before, before Witch Doctor. Before Witch Doctor? I, wouldn't, I don't have any idea. It was Rosemary Clooney's first big hit. Come on, come on. Yes. That, he wrote that for Rosemary Clooney. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that was, that was his song. And she really didn't want to record no, it. she didn't want to do it. But she didn't want to do it, but that, that put her on the map. Tell me the name of the song again, please. Come on to my house. Come on to my house. house, I give you candy. Come on to my house, my house, I'm gonna give you candy. Mean he went from that song to the chipmunk? Yes. Deliver me. <laughs> Come on to my house. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, I'll go, to, I'll, I'll go to Patricia's house and she'll give me a seat. Uh, I, I would make a treat for you. Have a candy or something. Sure. We'll talk to you guys later. I gotta go play in the snow. All right, have fun. <laughs> Don't get lost. Oh, bye bye. Well, your your glasses, your snow glasses, and everything else. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. For someone who might be new to the show tonight, or have perhaps missed Ron's calls periodically, he's going to go out and play in the snow in Hawaii. Ron lives in Hawaii, so it's always fun to know that we're crossing time zones here. It's so exciting. <laughs> I like that. I agree. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. We're open. We're open for business. Come ring your sway bells and uh, come to see us. And wish Merry Christmas. That's okay, right. are you ready for your hard question? Oh. Oh, poor Walt. Yeah. See, I come up with these things that I think are just... I'm going to get him, I'm going to get him. And he shrugs his shoulders and says, well, what's the problem here? <laughs> so here's your question. Mr. Peavy from The Great Gildersleeve. What was Mr. Peavy's full name, including his middle initial? Middle initial with Q. Um, Richard, oh. Q, Richard Q. Peavy. How did you know that? How 
Happy John. Yes, that's that is correct. Allow me to put on my good face here. Seven one four five four five. Two oh seven one. If you can tell Patricia how Wall knows that, I'll give you Patricia CD there. Seven one four five four five two oh seven. Well, yeah, I think a couple of reasons. One, you know, The Girls is one of my favorite shows, and I've heard all the available episodes. I think almost all the available episodes. Uh huh. Over five hundred, and at least twice. Um, and I think somebody might have snuck that out there a year or so ago. I have never heard it in one of the shows. I, I doubt I have listened to 500 shows, but I've listened to a healthy bundle. Yeah. And it was quite by accident. I came across this listing somewhere in, on the Internet in three or four different places, and they were halfway reputable. It was not in John Dunning's book, and I thought, oh, I'm going to get walled in with this one. But I'll call you on the air. Hello. How are you doing? Good, how are you? This is. Good, good. And who's this? Uh, my name is Scott. Hi, Scott. Good, how are you? Good, and where are you good. going? You might want to turn on your computer there. Good. Would you turn your computer off? Or down? Yes. There you go. Where are you calling from, Scott? Oh, we're calling from Palm Springs, California. Ah! From me, about an hour or so. About 112 today. You know, and today uh, here in Costa Mesa, I had to wear a, t a sweatshirt. <laughs> <laughs> big, uh, big fan of old time radio. Uh oh, did I lose Patricia? You there? Hold on, Scott. Me, I think I accidentally lost Patricia. So let me call her on the other line. Give me one second. There we go. We'll call Patricia, and that we should be okay. Back. There we go. How, so, how did you find yes? How did you find yesterday USA, Scott? Oh, um, over the internet. Uh huh. Uh, and and um, my friend happens to uh, do a, uh, a show. And who's your friend? Uh, Dennis Daly. Of course. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Dennis and I have been friends for about 20 years. And he's also a big fan of uh, old-time radio, big Trevor McGee and uh, Molly fan. Yeah, yeah. well, Dennis Dennis been around the radio business, as you know, for a long, long time. So. Yeah, over 40 years. Yeah. My gosh. And, um, you know, so we were just uh, talking about uh, the shows tonight, and uh, I happened to listen and tune in and uh, hear the Christmas show, and uh, just awesome. We're having a good time, and I'm so glad you called in. Um, you said Super McGee and Molly are your favorite. Yes. Yeah, I really, I really enjoy, uh, you know, listening to them, um, and uh, you know, especially with, uh, you know, I started out a long time ago. I've been in broadcasting myself for over 20 years, and uh, started collecting old-time radio shows on uh, cassette, uh, and just, uh, great. Do you have any shows that you are hoping to get and don't have? Well, yeah. You know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, Fibber McGee and uh, uh, Molly shows out there. Um, but I'm also a fan of the uh, the Westerns, uh, Gunsmoke and The Lone Ranger. And uh, had tuned in earlier tonight um, 
to uh, hear the uh, interview with Mr. Foy. Right. Brett Foy. Right. Which was absolutely great. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's great to have sites uh, like yours to where one can tune in and uh, just uh, sit back and uh, listen to the uh, old shows again and relive the days. Very cool. Scott, we have a, a special every week. and the Okay. If we have a person who calls in for the first time, you get a CD, which is why I'm asking about your favorite shows. Would you like some Gunsmoke or Lone Ranger? Sure. Which one would you like? The Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke you've got. I will, wow. I will send you a CD full of Gunsmoke. Now I need to know where to send it. So if I give you my email address, would you allow me to have your mailing address so I can get this to you? Sure, absolutely. Oh, super. Okay. The email address, this is all one word, Florida Writer. It's F-L-O-R-I-D-A-W-R-I-T-E-R, Florida Writer, at Hotmail.com. Florida writer at hotmail.com. Uh huh. Great. Well, I was, uh, you know, just uh, laying here listening to your program and, uh, you know, just excited to hear, uh, you know, some of the uh, callers before me oh, yeah. uh, talk about their experiences. And, you know, and like I said, it's uh, great that something like this uh, exists and that it can be preserved. Very much so. Tell me about your radio background. Where did you work? Did you work uh, around the country? Or what, what about your career? Well, yeah, I worked, uh, I was mostly in news. Mm -hmm. And I worked uh, in upstate New York. Okay. Uh, where I'm originally from. So towards the Buffalo and Rochester area. Ah, uh, no, you, no country. You, you see, your, you probably saw a few snowbanks up there. Oh, yeah, I was uh, uh, around for the blizzard of uh, 1977, so... <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's true, literally, that the uh, the the snow was up uh, atop the uh, telephone poles in areas. I um, mentioned to someone one night, a caller, that there was one year of blizzards in Buffalo where people got out because they tunneled under the snow. So that must have been the year, huh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they came in, uh, especially with the homeless. Um, excuse me, the, the, the homeless and also uh, the shut-ins. Yeah. Uh, they had to get in with the four-wheelers, and yeah, you couldn't even really drive. Uh, the snowplows had a tough time. And uh, one of the ways uh, they had to get through was with tunneling. And it was just storm after storm after storm that year. Pounded, pounded constantly. Just if you looked out the window, just all you saw was a sheet of white. <laughs> Scott, my brain tells me that I read something or heard something that said that year you got a total of 84 feet of snow. Is that possible? Well, I'd, it could be. I'd, that's a lot of snow, though. Oh, um worth, and if you got two or three feet at a time. Yeah, it, would, uh, it was coming down quite a rate and, um, and over a, a four- or five-day period. And I, I wouldn't be uh, surprised. 84 feet, and you multiply that by 12 inches. That's a that's an awful lot of snow. A lot of snow. No, I I misspoke. I did not mean during the blizzard, but for that entire snow year, from the first snowfall to the last snowfall, 
that it was some incredible amount that absolutely yeah yeah if, yeah and that's what i was meaning during the winter period um yeah that would be almost correct that we had just an in you know an insurmountable amount of snow would you like to multiply your um your winnings tonight would i like to multiply my winnings sure okay if you answer a trivia question you can also have the Lone Ranger. Oh, okay. Only because you're a first-time caller. Oh, okay. This is too cool. Otherwise, you'd have to take... Well, you can also... You could have Christmas music, Christmas shows, or the Lone Ranger, but you have to answer a question first. Uh-oh. Ready. All right, I'm game. Okay, we'll have a Gildersleeve Christmas. A Gildersleeve Christmas? Yeah. Leroy sells Christmas trees in one of the Gildersleeve Christmas shows. Which town did they live in? Um, let's see. Well, uh, you know what? I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I, let's see. Can I help, Patricia? Uh, sure. What time of the season are we in, Scott? Summer. Oh, okay, good. So... So you're, you're, you're halfway there. Summerville? So, almost. Uh, well, else would go with summer? You know what? I didn't ask you if you wanted a show or a music question. So I'm going to give you a music question instead. Uh-oh. Oh, okay. Are you ready? In the song, Let It Snow, it begins with, oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so... Delightful. There you go. Okay. But Scott was halfway there. It was Summerfield. Summerfield. Yes. Summerfield. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. You know, these, when, when they take you by surprise, it's amazing how much we can't make our brains cough up for us. That's right. I mean... And I've, I've listened to a lot of Gildersleeve. I know, I have too, but if you ask me some of my own questions, I don't think I'm able to. <laughs> you can't remember right off the top of your head, can you? It's like, uh, and then uh, after a while you think about it and, oh, I know that. <laughs> yes, yes, that's exactly right. So, would you like The Lone Ranger, a CD of Christmas shows, or a CD of a really a nice mix of Christmas music? Your choice. Hmm, let's see, how about a... Uh, CD of uh, Christmas music. You got it. It's great. As long as I have your address, I will send you Gunsmoke and I will send you Christmas music. Okay, well that uh, that sounds great. And um, like I said, you know, uh, I just uh, continue to uh, listen to your program and enjoy uh, what you guys are uh, doing. And um, just wanted to con uh, confirm again, because it is late here, so uh, what, it's, uh, your email again? Email is Florida Writer. Right, okay, that's right. Couldn't read my rotting, rotten writing. <laughs> late at night, I don't have my glasses on. Uh, Florida Writer, W-R-I-T-E-R. -I, -E I didn't... Oh, okay. And uh, that's at Hotmail.com. Huh? Okay. It's just, it's, it's uh, too bad um, that they really don't do radio programs like uh, they did back in the uh, 30s and 40s and the early days of radio. 
Boy, are you telling, you're preaching to the choir here. It's, yeah. I, I keep asking people, are you sure it's not going to come back? Are you positive it's not going to come back? I'm just having such a wonderful time. When, I, I, you know, I, I came from an area also, uh, I remember one year when I was in broadcasting, during uh, an event, it was uh, upstate New York in uh, the 150th uh, anniversary celebration, and it was in Arcade, New York. And got to meet Fran Stryker Jr. Wow. Okay, that's right, because Fran Sr. wrote a lot of Lone Ranger shows. When and he did was, a lot of the writing. Yeah, in Buffalo. Yeah. And he lived in exactly. Buffalo. WEBR. Yep. Uh, carried a lot of the stuff, carried yep. a lot of his shows. Um, so Fran Stryker, uh, you know, and a house, unfortunately, there was a house. Uh, in the area where he lived, they had a lot of the transcripts and stuff like that. I think it's still uh, there. I and thought. it got flooded, and a lot of it was lost. Oh. Wow. Oh, those hurt. Yeah. Those are hard. Um, I hear that. Um, <laughs> and uh, came from, you know, we speak of Buffalo, WKVW back then. Uh, also did a, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever heard it, uh, a recreation of War of the Worlds. I've heard about the one up there. I've never heard it, though, but I've heard uh, people talk about it. Yeah, it's, uh, they did a real fine job on that, and uh, they used to, right up until just a few years ago, play it every Halloween. Mm. The time to play it. That's right. It is good stuff. That really was a fabulous play. Oh, yeah, H.G. Wells and, and of course, uh, Orson Wells, actually. Um yeah, it was just fun to listen to. And, you know, how at the time, <laughs> you know, it really, you know, a lot, had a lot of people's attention because they didn't know what was happening. Mm-hmm. We've, we've talked a couple of different times and, and we'll continue to talk at different times about the effect that show had on so many people when it played the first time. Mm, my. It was incredible. Scott, where are you calling from? I got I disconnected myself a little bit ago, and I missed that piece of information. Oh, I'm calling from uh, Palm Springs. Which one? California, I'm sorry. Palm Springs, California. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm visiting my friend uh, Dennis Daly, who has a show on your network, and, um, and, I, and I've been a friend with him many, many years. Mm -hmm. uh, he... Uh, Worked, uh, worked as um, a news uh, reporter for UPI. Uh, and for AP, I believe, as well, didn't he? Yeah, he did a little bit for AP. And um, so I just uh, recently relocated to uh, North Las Vegas. So moving around and, uh, you know, just uh, eat out right now, but just uh, turned to you guys on about an hour ago and uh, have been listening ever since. You please tell him we both said hello. He knows both of us, um, not personally. He doesn't know me personally. He may know Walden personally. Yeah, but uh, we exchanged notes at the Yesterday USA chat area once in a while. He comes in during the week. And uh, we've exchanged emails. And it's, um, it's so nice to be able to talk with somebody and be able to pass on a hi. Now, I have... Oh, I I know he's really excited about what he does for you guys and, uh, you know, his love uh, just as much as mine for um, the programs and the product. And, um, you know, it's a lost art. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, um, and it's, it's people like us that keep it alive. Yeah. And, you know, we just, 
you know, I, I just, it really, I get a tingle every time I hear some old-time radio shows, and um, you can't say enough, you know. Sure. It's really, you know, you really got to, you know, to love something, to appreciate something like that. Mm-hmm. And the people that put so much time and work into it, you think of Fibber McGee and Molly, and, um, you know, especially when she got sick and the time that they had to, uh, you know, even continue to do work and work around that. Yep. They had some special challenges. Well, I will get two CDs out to you in exchange for your address, so I have a place to send them. And uh, please say hi to Dennis for me. Oh, I will do that. Wonderful. Uh, I was as excited, and, uh, you know, um, thank you for the opportunity to uh, talk with you guys. Well, it's our pleasure, and it's always so much fun when we get to say hi and welcome to a person who is calling us for the first time. Okay, and uh, you uh, keep keep cool. Uh, I know it's going to be hot here again tomorrow, 113, I believe. No, I I can live without that. We've it's hot here, but 95 is the the crest. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm not going beyond that point. So you. Stay <laughs> 